of the Phoenix Saga, our first ever two-parter. It's very excited to be bringing you the second part of something we've never, ever done this before. If you don't know what's going on, you need to go and listen to part one. It's there, waiting in the archives. It will get you up to speed on the Phoenix Saga. But let's do it like we normally do it. Hello and welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life, rewatches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes someone else, another comedian, this one who is a veritable Marvel expert, someone who was taught to read using Marvel comics. Hello and welcome to that MVM second part, first time ever. My name is Rob Holden. I'm a uh, comedian, a writer, and I am the Marvel expert sat in the chair and i'm looking straight into the beautiful blue eyes of the most ignorant man you ever did meet it's mr will preston hello look into my eyes there's all my wisdom not in my mouth that could have been phrased better have you got blue eyes i never i can never see i never know or I, what color anyone's eyes are really unless like you know you've got um you know those Paul, uh, Robert, Robert newman had those piercing Piercing blue eyes. But other than that, I don't really know. I, I do called. have blue eyes. It's because my eyes are so small, no one ever bothers checking. <laughs> it's my eyes are so small. Yeah, they're, they're not big eyes. They're not big. Well, I think they're big enough. Um, you managed really? to read okay. Um, yeah, I, I can see. That's can a, you drive a car? I can drive, I can right? drive a car. Well, I mean, what else do you need eyes for? Um, staring. <laughs> Lots of staring. We've uh, delivered... One part one of the Phoenix Saga that is uh, that is right there for you. We've had great feedback on it, which we're gonna get to. This is our first time doing doing a second part of something. We're almost a little bit lost in the format. Uh, coming up, we go behind the scenes on the rules for making the X Men animated series. We take an inside look at the amazing cast of actors that have made this Phoenix Saga and the entire um, X Men animated series. Uh, we uh, we meet the X-Men's amazing cosmic friends and enemies. We look at the history of Banshee, the Shi'ar, the Emkran Crystal, Ooh. Cyclops and his family life, Leprechauns, as promised, and so <laughs> much more in this episode. Don't go anywhere at all. I'm Will, I'm so excited to be doing uh, our first ever two-parter. It, 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 we talked about could we somehow squeeze all these episodes as five five uh, TV TV episodes into one of our episodes? And I know we've done a four hour um, a four hour show in the past, but it just didn't seem like it was going to be possible, did it? No, no. We, we, we I mean, we discussed it for like possibly the big ones, like you, you know, the obvious big ones that would be two parters. But for something like a TV show, or something we were like. Oh no, we're going to have to do it. This is going to be an interesting learning experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so there's so much detail that we that we were able to get through behind behind the scenes of the of the of the production that we always love to give you the the, the details of behind the scenes of the X Men comic book series that we gave you in the first part. To do all of that plus five episodes, we were just looking at it was going to be five to six hour long <laughs> shows, and we just didn't think that. Um, 
we didn't know how you guys would feel and we didn't know if we could stick it out for five or six continuous hours in our in the jeweled mvm recording studios um so this seemed like the most exciting way to do it um we 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 laid the table i mean we laid the table in that first part we we we, we set the scene um like never before and you know there's actually so much more still to come we've got tons more uh production notes which i think Although they're not relevant, they're not specifically about the Phoenix um, story, the Phoenix saga. Mm. They speak so much to how these stories were created, the way that it was approached in terms of how to adapt. Um, and there's just tons of great stuff for us to, to, to look at. And we answer one of Will's questions <laughs> about <laughs> why the X-Men this sounds so different to any other cartoon. Um, and and we've got that that that, that he's he's eager and chomping yes, at the bit I to have that now. one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which uh, is, is lots of fun. Plus leprechauns. Um, Will... Speaking of leprechauns, no, I haven't got a good segue on that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, there's no segue whatsoever. Will, we keep getting asked this question. We've got so many wonderful, wonderful, loyal listeners and supporters, and they do keep saying, where can we see you guys in person? And I keep saying, leave me alone. I'm an old man. But you are, are out there in public, not afraid to get in front of the unwashed masses. Yes, uh, as long as you wash yourself, you can see me. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to wash yourself to go to a comedy gig. If anything, mate, from my 15-year experience... <laughs> <laughs> Washing is not required. Yes, uh, that is true. If you want to see me live, it's mainly in London, but there are other places too in the UK. I'm going to be, let's see, Monday the 13th, I'm going to be at Crown Jewel Comedy at the Castle Inn in Ealing. I'm going to be at Acid with Jesus at the Nelson's Head in Hoxton on Wednesday the 15th. Wait. yeah. Is that the name of the venue, or are you going to be at Acid with Jesus? Because if it's that one, I mean, I think that's going to be a sellout, mate. <laughs> no, no, I think he, that's why he called it that, so people would come. If you're in Kent, I'm going to be gigging on the 16th uh, with Updog Comedy at the Shipping in Gillingham, so that'll be nice. Uh, and a week after, 21st, is Happy Laughcraft at the Shakespeare in Barbican in London. On 22nd, Fambula Comedy at Whack Arts, I think it's called, <laughs> at the Old Town Whack Hall. Whack Arts? Yes, yeah, it says Old Town Hall uh, in Belsize Park in London. And I'm doing a gig for Mirth Control on Friday the 24th in Burton-upon-Trent, but I don't have any more details. And finally, on Sunday the 26th, if you're in Winchester, I'm going to be performing at Off the Rails at the Railway Inn. Exciting stuff. Make sure you uh, get out there and see Will Preston if he's near you, or if, if he's not near you, man, get a get a get a cheap bus ticket, get in a car, go and see him. Um, you can find him Will Preston at Will Preston on Twitter, uh, where he's got all his dates and venues um, up there for you to peruse. Um, you can't come and see me in person, uh, but I, I you can learn a bit more about me if you'd like to. Um, I'm being uh, I'm being featured on a, a podcast. Uh, for alumni of my old university, um, Staffordshire University, uh, they've got a podcast called The Horizon. The Horizon. That does sound Sounds nice. like they sell insurance. Um, <laughs> the Horizon uh, podcast, uh, Staffordshire University, uh, they asked me all about uh, this podcast. They asked me all about uh, my career writing comedy, um, my career in British wrestling, and um, and they, they, they kind of want me to, I, I guess, inspire the youth of today and how they can, you know, 
get out there and find cool, exciting careers and stuff. Um, my episode directly follows <laughs> directly it's not out as of this recording but it, it should be out by the time you listen to this it directly follows a an incredible profile of like uh, an, an nhs cancer worker oh <laughs> i was like oh cool <laughs> i make knob jokes for a living <laughs> um so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure I make it sound just as important as this incredible woman who, um, who uh, uh, saves lives and 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 uh, saves souls. Um, yeah. So <laughs> those are the places that you can uh, you can uh, get more from uh, Rob and Will. You can listen to me on the Horizon podcast, uh, and you can go and see Will Preston in person if you uh, want any of those dates. Given again, head to at Will Preston on Twitter. Well, as it's a two-part, uh, part two of a two-parter, Will, we don't have, uh, going behind the, the, the panel, uh, we don't have Into the Mind of a Muggle. We've laid that table. We do have some genuinely really cool um, production notes um, for you guys. And these, a huge amount of this two-parter is taken uh, from behind-the-scenes perspective from Eric Lewald's book um, previously on X-Men. I've mentioned it before. Eric Lewald um, was the uh, story editor and like head writer, and he he seems to, if you have read the book, he's such a driving force in getting this thing, uh, the, the X-Men series, the seminal X-Men series, off the ground. Um, you know, the X-Men animated series comes out at roughly exactly the same time as Batman animated series. And these two shows completely changed the way um you know kids cartoons are viewed and i think they also completely changed the way that people view superheroes um as a as what they how they can be adapted i i, I don't think it's a small part to say that they they play a huge huge role in in getting um getting the x men uh into the cinemas with with the 2000 movie so there it's it's a really it's it's a thick big book oh my there's so much packed into it he, he interviews virtually everyone that was uh, involved in making this this show um and he's got production notes and all of that and will has got access to this something that's really cool this is eric Lewald put together in pre-production before they started the the the, the part of the um you'll have a bible for a for a series or a movie <laughs> the the bible for remember folks when will laughs he's just recognizes a word <laughs> no I, if a lot of video games i like have bibles like you have the doom bible the resident evil bible and you have yeah, all this fascinating production stuff yeah production stuff that, that yeah. never made the cut as well uh, Eric Lewald put down in, in the in the Bible the rules for creating this very specific this X Men animated series and to tell these kind of stories. Um, so, will um, take us take us through take us through the rules? Okay, rule number one: don't write down to children. Well-intentioned parents groups, in an attempt to shield their children from life extremes, will force TV networks to grind anything exceptional or provocative out of their storytelling. The Disney film Bambi would never be allowed to be produced for children's television because of the death of Bambi's mother. Art- I found that I found that so telling and so kind of accurate. Uh, that's that's it's one of the biggest Disney movies. You think of Disney movies, there's nothing untoward in a Disney movie. You think of 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 how what a powerful movie Bambi is, and you're absolutely right. You could never do a kids' cartoon where you open on death of mother. 
It's it. Well, you know, well, you don't necessarily open it, but yeah, you build up to it. Um, I was I, I was uh, talking about this the other day. Uh, I watched The Emperor's New Groove for the first time. I, it it bypassed me, and, I, and it's a nice film, nice funny little film. But it's the most light-hearted Disney film I've ever seen. Because, and I turned around and said, because there is no real risk, no one's close to death, no one's dying. There's no revenge. It's well, there is a bit of revenge, but it's just yeah. very. It's, it's like a, just a long cartoon rather than an epic tale. Yeah, the best Disney films are epic tales. I think the best stories, you know, have 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 all these elements in, and I think he, you know, in in in, in as, as you as you're gonna well crack, crack on. I think you've got more. I think it, we you're gonna oh, speak yeah. to so much of that. There is more. Basic. Our team knew that this overprotective attitude was a gross misunderstanding of young viewers. The most cherished cartoons of our youth, like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, or Popeye, were written by adults to entertain and delight each other. We all understood the unwritten law of childhood. If you didn't understand everything in a story that was older, you yearned to. If you sensed that something was just for little kids, you disdained it. For the story to work, Bamba's mother needs to die. I I, I think we got an awful lot of, uh, in in the letters in the first episode in part one, we had people saying, I didn't get all of this. I, I love the Phoenix saga. I didn't get all of it. You know, and I think there was an awful lot of that, but not just because you, I think that's so telling, just because you don't get it doesn't mean you discount it. And I can think of myself growing up reading comic books and, and thinking there's tons of stuff that I didn't get because it was too adult. And then, yeah. you know, five, six years later when I'm a teenager, I'm reading it again or I'm, you know, somehow experience it again. And you go, oh, yeah. They meant shagging, <laughs> or whatever it might be—death, or 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 dishonor, or or something. Exactly, exactly. Okay, rule number two: don't just play at jeopardy. If the threat isn't real, your audience won't care. Your characters have to struggle and hurt and lose sometimes. Easy victories create no drama. There must be a lot at stake—a friendship, a city, a life—so that the hero's struggle has meaning beyond who wins. And who loses? It's like what you were saying with the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, there's, there, there wasn't. It, it was like there was a little bit of a struggle, but it felt very. It felt too cartoony. There wasn't much. There wasn't enough consequence. To it. it was entertaining, yeah. but I wasn't completely invested. Even even like Cars, which is a super super light movie, Cars has a real heart and an emotional weight to it. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, what it means for the town and all these yeah. jobs and all these jobs and lives that all go, and you know, same as Toy Story, they're they're incredibly fun and light, but they have real. There are stakes, man. There are yeah. real stakes, in, and it makes you feel that the stakes are real. Oh, absolutely. Rule number three: remain true to the source material. That's a big one, isn't it? The only reason to do an adaptation rather than an original show is an appreciation for the source material. X-Men fans care as much about their characters and their stories as Star Trek or Sherlock Holmes fans. We're going to make sure we are producing the stupid or careless version of a beloved original. I think that's that. Yeah. The, the, if you don't want to adapt, I think of some of these um, uh, in the book, Eric Lewald gives um, an example of a show he worked on called Popeye and Son, which I remember when I was a little kid, hmm. Popeye and Son. And they just, he said, they just, the, the number one rule on Popeye and Son was that um, Popeye couldn't get into any fights. And we're like, that's the whole point of Popeye. <laughs> if you if you don't want to do a show about a pirate who who fights another pirate, 
don't do Popeye. You say he's not pirate. Say, he, yeah, I was about to um, say he ain't no pirate. And I can remember, I can remember that like, like from, from so many times they they take a oh we'll do the Phantom right, the Phantom, the classic pulp hero, the Phantom, but we'll do him in the future, <laughs> and there's no connection to the native people. Um, there's no jungle. There's none of that. There's no spirits of the ancestors. He, he, he's he's like a science fiction hero. No, we'll just do. If you're not going to like do the X Men stuff properly, like just create, you know, Team Super Alpha X, and just have super powered people doing what you want. You don't need to, you know, if you're not going to be faithful, like he says, you can just do an original story. Exactly. Point number four. Sorry, rule number four. Establish core themes. The hook for us is the issue of mutancy. Our characters are hated and feared for being born different. They are hard-working, self-sacrificing heroes who are also an oppressed minority. References are made to the Jews in Europe and African Americans during the struggle for civil rights. It's also reasonable for the public to fear mutants with powers, and in turn, it's reasonable for mutants to fear what a frightening public might do to them. It's even reasonable for mutants to disagree with the X-Men's mission of integration. This difficult situation sets up the core theme of the series. I, um... That... I, I don't know. It feels... I, sometimes I think some of this stuff should be released to fans ahead of time to go, guys, we're, we're, we're taking this seriously. We're not mucking around. Yeah. Uh, because that's so reassuring that they're saying everyone's perspective in this cartoon is reasonable. You know, aside from, like, Mojo and... <laughs> you know... It's unreasonable that Magneto wants to, like, kill humans and take over the world. Absolutely. But the starting point of, like, oh, no, I'm scared of what they're going to do to me, that's kind of reasonable. It's it's reasonable for all the, for, for people to disagree with the X-Men, for the X-Men to fall out with each other. All these things, you know, it, it, it it's it's complicated. Mm. Um, I think that's that's um, a, a key part of X-Men as well. Oh, absolutely. It's the, it's the absolute core. Okay, point number five. Sorry, rule number five. It is, uh, sorry, establish vulnerability. It is a tough job to effectively challenge a group of super beings. How do you make the audience worry about this dream team to have concern for their safety? Rule one of compelling storytelling is to get your protagonist in trouble. Aside from the powerful villains, we search for traits within each X-Men to allow for personal issues to weaken and threaten them. Yeah, that's what, that, that everyone's um, bo- boring people who don't <laughs> uh, dull, boring people who don't do who don't think about things properly. That's what they always say. Oh, Superman's rubbish because he's too powerful. You don't understand storytelling or drama, and you've you've, you've I don't think you've ever read a really good Superman story. Then, um, and I, I'm not saying that those kind of times don't exist with powerful characters, but then. You might, if that's your attitude, you 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 might as well not have any superheroes. Yeah. Um, it, it, yes, those those things do happen, but they're the fault of of you know the creative people not quite doing it properly. It's not it's not that you know as Wolverine becomes more and more unkillable, it does present a problem. I must admit, <laughs> but, but because he wasn't created that way, and yeah. so, but you do just to find more emotional. Um, heartstrings to pull and and more dramatic things to do with his life rather than a physical threat absolutely and we come to the final rule tell personal stories we made many of the uh, crises as we could personal involving friends or loved ones so that there was far more at stake than just stopping a bad guy 
The people in trouble needed to be people that at least one of the X-Men cared deeply about. Instead of saving the day for the total strangers, we wanted most stories to uh, be involved uh, with something crucial to at least one of our lead characters. Cyclops meeting the father who had abandoned him, Wolverine meeting the people who turned him into a living weapon, Gambit confronting the family he left behind, Storm facing the person who exploited her as a child, Xavier trying to save a loved one's son. Win, lose or draw, the story was about the relationship, not the fight. Now I like that. I like that a lot. And I think those very specific examples kind of ring true, make sense. You do mm. see that coming up again and again in the X-Men. Um and it's not something that is ever really... Uh, I don't think it's ever... I, I can't recall it ever really being a thing that happens in the comics. The comics very much, you know, especially the X-Men, it's all the interplay between um, the supporting cast and the families and all that sort of stuff. Spider-Man's the same as well. But I, I certainly think that what they're trying to do with this cartoon series is get away from the standard Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, Hero saves village of people you've never met before, never seen before, <laughs> uh, and then like leaves at the end. Bad guy defeated, and and you'll never see. You know what's it mean really? Other than there's a fight scene and and a good cool music. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's um, it, it's almost stuff that is perhaps un, unsaid and unwritten um, in the comic book world, the monthly superhero comic book world, but. I guess they're trying really hard to 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 get everyone on the animation side on the, on the same page. Um, yeah, I think those are a cracking set of rules. For, I mean, for anything really, but oh no, absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah. The, 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 these are good rules. These these should be basic rules when doing anything remotely serious in terms of narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also talked in part one. Will specifically questions about. I mean, it led from Storm, but. It, it, the X Men cast, it's it, it, the the sound of of the of the acting. It's very very unique, especially if it's time nineteen ninety two. Like Batman, I think was out r around the same time. So it's not like they they. It's not like either one of those shows had the other to inspire them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Bat Batman didn't wasn't the people who didn't involved in Batman didn't see X Men and go oh let's do something like that and vice versa, and they're very 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 different. But they both treat the source material and the approach to drama very seriously and things. Um, Absolutely. But the the, the the acting doesn't sound like any other cartoon. Um, I don't think it sounds anything. Batman doesn't sound anything like X Men. X Men doesn't sound anything like Batman or Spider Man or any of the other stuff. And there's some great chapters in the book all about why. Um, the first thing is that we talked about like all the all the acting. They're all Canadian actors. Yes, yeah. Um, and the reason for that is union laws. So if they used um, like a, a actors and a casting agency in like LA, California, where they're based, then not only do you have to pay um, for the job. But you have to pay royalties every time the episode is played. Ooh. Whereas in Canada, they have a buyout rule, which means you can buy out, and in four, you, it's not an option given to the actor, you buy out the actor's rights to royalties. Oof. You pay them a one time fee when it's played, um, and that fee of whatever amount covers for every time so if your if your aim is to get something into syndication video sales mm. you don't have to keep paying 
um, royalties. I've experienced a buyout in one of my uh, very few <sighs> acting roles. I did a job working for um, uh, it was a, a tech security. It was a tech security kind of tech security solutions educational. It was educational video for companies, basically saying, "Hey, everyone." Uh, don't leave your... Oh, no, it wasn't. It was to do with compliancy in the uh, financial industry. Something I know nothing <laughs> about. It was the best-paying job I have ever had, ever. Um, I think my day rate for acting was 850, 900 quid. That's really but then, good. But then I was paid... They, they paid my uh, transport. They paid my hotel... Um, they took care of all the meals and everything. When you've been a jobbing comedian for a long time, you're just like, what the hell is happening? So it was like, yeah, <laughs> nine, 900 for the day. Yeah. Then there was extra money. They took my pictures to use for promotional um, pr- promotional um, uh, things to promote the, the video. They paid me extra for that. They paid me extra for some voice work. And then the buyout, to buy me out of all my royalties so they'd only have to pay me once, when they'd finished making and when they'd sold the video, it was like sixteen, seventeen hundred quid. Um, it was it was incredible. No, yeah. it was more. It was eight. It would have been double the original day rate. So it was yeah, it was eighteen hundred. Wow. Um, it was uh, fantastic buyouts, baby buyouts. Um, now I'm sure everyone acting would have much preferred the royalties on this show because wow, I mean, it's, yes. they'd, they'd still be getting them to this day. Um, but what is written in the book about this is um, is something really special. Eric Lewald said, We got the first um, audio cassette tapes of prospective cast voices from Canada. They were so wrong that it hurt. <laughs> Scooby-Doo wrong. Oh, A- man. Absolutely destroy the show wrong. What had happened? These were experienced voice actors directed by a professional voiceover director. The problem wasn't that the actors weren't as good. Um, it was just that they were used to doing voices for kiddie cartoons, in inverted commas. Oh, and no. X-Men was so different. Cartoon casts were used to doing play acting, little kid versions <laughs> of those characters. Uh, Sydney uh, Iwunter, who is, who is one of the big producers involved, Sydney had a brainstorm. Stage actors, not voiceover actors. Toronto was a big theatre town. Mm. For the second attempt at auditioning a cast, Sydney had Toronto casting director Karen Gora get some theatrical actors involved. And Sydney Iwanter writes, I, uh, I said to Margaret Lesh, this is no good. If you're going to have dialogue like this, if you're going to have a situation like this, you've got to have actors. <laughs> There's got to be some gravitas to all of this stuff. We cast Annette out and we got Cedric Smith for Professor X, a Shakespearean-trained actor with a voice like God. We got David Hemblem for Magneto and it was the same thing. So we were picking theatre-trained individuals, some of whom had never done animation before. There was a richness to their vibrato. Then all, then we uh, had to tell the voice director that we weren't going to do it the same way as, as other cartoons he did. We were going to take care. We weren't going to just take the first or second read. We were going to stay and get this dramatically correct. 
Absolutely. Part part of what he writes about is that um because this guy, um, Eric Leewald, and all these people have worked on dozens, we talked about this, dozens and dozens and dozens of different cartoons over the years. And they say the animation industry, especially the Saturday morning animation industry, is geared towards um, tonnage. Like, sheer volume of... Like, you you do 38 episodes of, I don't know, Beetlejuice or whatever, and yeah. it's just about... Because that's another show he worked on. It's about... I'm sure they work very hard at it, but it's about getting it out, getting it done, getting it out there. It's only for kids. What comes across so much in this book, especially when you get to the, the casting and the acting and everything, is that... I don't know how it happened, but M- Margaret Lesh, Sydney Iwanter, and, and, and Eric Leewald... They approach this of we we're not we're not making something disposable and throw away and let's try and churn out two hundred of these as quickly as possible. They really wanted to focus in, mm. do it again, get it absolutely right, and and make something that is dramatic, make something that is actually kind of almost above some kids' heads, but they're going to grow into it. Make something that's kind of for older kids and the younger kids can grow into it, or they can appreciate the. You know the flashy kind of fight scenes and stuff. Um, it really comes across in, in in this series when they do that, and specifically with Storm, they actually ended up being three actresses playing the role. Oh, how how did that happen? Um, so they first cast a Canadian actress. Okay, and and then someone in production said, "You've cast a white actor uh, playing the only black character in the show." <laughs> That's a massive mistake. And they went, oh, God, yeah, you're right. We missed that because I presumably we're all white and we just didn't think about it. Quickly, let's let's cast a black actor to play the role as quickly as possible. So they cast someone from America. And that is who appears in the first series as it, went to, as it was broadcast uh, on TV for the first time. And then the producers went, we absolutely cannot pay this, this actor royalties. Yeah. So let's let's find a black actor in Canada to dub and do the lines again, and then buy them out. So there there end up being three people to play the the role. Oh, but a... but there we go. I think we get one of the best casts of all time um, in 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 X Men the animated series, and I think you feel it in things like the Phoenix Saga when yeah. the stakes are higher and when the drama is that much more. I was just going to say, actually, as well. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, it's a, a quick thing to end end this bit on, but um, I had a look at, at the actors, and two of them play main characters in the Resident Evil series. Uh, Alison Court, who plays uh, Jubilee, plays Claire Redfield in Resident Evil Two, which she's a huge character. And uh, Catherine Disher, who we've mentioned before, plays Jean Grey. She plays Jill Valentine in Resident Evil 3. These are the original PlayStation ones. And I just thought, hey, they're popping up again. I wonder whether they were the, whether they were people that had done voice acting before or whether they were some of these, you know, theatre-trained actors who had never done it before and then started, you know, they'd build their CV with X-Men and maybe they'd start to go on to do more um, voice work uh, I think with Alison Court, it looked like that way. They look primarily like they're doing just voice work, you know, which is good. But that could have been post-1992, for all we know. Mm. We'd have to look back. If they were doing a lot of voice work before 92, then they were some of the voice guys in Canada. But if not, it could well be that these uh, some of these theatre people were like, you know what's a really good 
payday <laughs> when I'm not on stage. It's uh, doing some voiceover stuff for some of these geeky nerds. <laughs> We've had tons of great responses from the first part of our Phoenix saga. It's so great. I mean, we had loads of people writing in with their memories of Phoenix before, and then we've had some great responses to the actual episode itself. You can always get in touch with us if you uh, send a message to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com. And if you've got a little bit of short love, short love, <laughs> if you want to just uh, a little hit and run, you can do that on Twitter with Marvel versus Will. What's in the mailbag? We have a letter here from Peter J, who wrote one in of our faves. One of our faves, Peter J, who wrote in to say the first Phoenix show is a truly wonderful episode, and I know this because I am already looking forward to listening to it again right before the part two episode. It also occurred to me that if a person, any person, is watching through the series of Marvel films for a second, third whatever time and they are not looking forward to a particular movie for whatever reason Thor Dark World Thor <laughs> Dark World in there Thor like Dark a World. shot in there like a shot and absolutely correct uh, they can and should substitute that movie with MVM episode to get dedicated to that movie yes yes I, I like that I, I like that also looking forward to the Superman episode that'll be a really nice addition to The Journey which is getting big and starting to show how getting from 40s, 50s, 60s characters through the 70s and 80s to the first outings as TV or TV movie or cinematic release films and how the industry changed and how the character stories changed through the 90s and noughties to this present day and the MCU was and is massively undertaking, which quite frankly is a pleasure to listen to. That's uh, If you missed it, uh, somehow missed it from our first, uh, from, from last, the last episode, part one, we announced that once we are finished with uh, the Phoenix Saga, or the first part of the Phoenix Saga, should I say, um, we are going to be doing our first ever DC edition of Marvel versus Marvel. There is a purpose behind all of this. We are telling the story of Marvel. We are telling the story of Marvel dominance. In you know, I don't want to say dominance. That sounds like it's a victory or a or a competition. We're telling we're telling the story of the rise of Marvel from something that was very obscure when I was a kid to something that is now the number one entertainment thing in the world. We can't tell that story without the first superhero movie. We just can't. And 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 so Superman is really important to us. If, if some of these cartoons were saying, you know what, guys, these cartoons showed people that you could adapt the comics and make some money and blade showed hollywood hey you could adapt some of these properties and make some money and x-men and spider-man proved that and then we get the mc if we're saying all of that we have to go back we have to go back to the 70s we have to go back to christopher reeve we have to take a look at superman and that's going to be uh what we're going to be doing some peter j's on board and we've already got three four uh, letters in about about our first DC trip, so we're saving uh, some of those, and it's going to be. I know Will's really excited about it, aren't you, mate? I I am I am mainly because we will get to do Batman, and it's going to be interesting uh, getting around to doing something where I have actually read the comics for it. If that makes sense, I think we might. I think actually maybe you can't do that episodes. I think we might have to get rid of you and find another Will who's never read a DC comic. I think that might have to be there because otherwise the format doesn't work, right? I am the podcast, Rob. Just try it. <laughs> He's feeling his oats today. <laughs> what else is in the mailbag? We got one from Cody. 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 
who got in touch to say, I really liked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. while it lasted. Not sure if either of you have seen it. I haven't, but I really want to cover it. Yeah, I saw the first series, bits of the second series, and I think I just kind of dropped off because it, it, it wasn't available for streaming. Uh, sorry, for, for binging and streaming. It was, it, was, it was trying to keep up with a... It was at this period of time, I think, uh, in, in, in the UK, E4 had it. Yeah. Or maybe Channel 4. So even if you were watching it on, on, on what you call catch-up streaming, it's the adverts. I, I cannot handle the adverts... Um, I'm currently as, as a big wrestling fan. Um, AEW is a, is a you know a really big deal at the moment, and I can watch that for free on 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 ITV on one of my channels that I get on catch up. But I have to, I cannot sit through two hours of adverts. Yeah. So instead of sitting through instead of getting it for free, I pay like five six quid a month <laughs> to get an unadvert version that I can because it's just so I cannot cope with them. I I really struggle. Um, I don't mind uh before a show, and then you know it's it's so much different when it's like a half hour thing or a twenty minute thing. When you're watching a two hour program or an hour program. They just jam in everywhere. Oh. Before a show, I don't mind, but when it's before, and then it's like every fit ten, fifteen minutes, I can't handle it. Um, so that's what that's what turned me off from Agents of Shield. But it had some good stuff in it, yeah. Um, so it would be interesting to, to take a look at it for the show. I'm I'm definitely up for that. Some of the stories later on get really interesting, like LMDs, the framework, and in humans although I can't see how you could cover them in the show's format without cherry-picking episodes from later seasons. That's always a problem. That's always a problem. Um, I'm starting to wrap my head around some of the ability to do this. I think I found a way for us to look at Kang. Oh, hello. Uh, maybe outside of the movie, because it's going to be so long before we get to the movie. Who knows? Um, I think there's ways of us looking at certain TV shows and cartoon series and 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 letting us find more cool stories to take a look at so that's yeah there's possibilities with all this stuff cody okay on that note whilst the inhuman series was total trash they're an interesting concept with some good characters i'd like to hear some of the background to the creation of the inhumans i've read that at one point marvel tried to downplay mutants for a while due to fox owning the movie rights and tried to utilize inhumans instead not sure how true this is but i'd love to hear more I'd also really enjoyed the Runaway series. It had a great cast of characters, and I've read and I've read a few plot uh, synopsises online. I think this would be uh, make for an interesting compare and contrast. Uh, lastly, and most importantly, I'd love to hear Rob discuss X Men Three: The Last no. Stand. Yes, no. you will. No. Good boy. Good boy. No. Good boy gets his treat. Good boy gets his treat. <laughs> if he does X Men Last Stand. Right, First I'm the juggernaut. I'm Jones. We need to address that horrifying new catchphrase of yours. What? Good boy gets his treat. It's the most pervy thing I've ever heard on a podcast. <laughs> that is so disturbing. I made it. I, I didn't know what to say in the moment, so I just, I just came out. I did the improv thing, Rob. I did what make uh, improv comedy and ad libbing so good, where you just don't think about what you're saying and just say it and. Yeah, sometimes and I, I I derailed that because the other rule for the partner in the improv is to just go with it. You did, and I did not go with it. I said, yeah. "No, no, no, and no." And, and. I I think future <laughs> generations will applaud me for that. 
Because the last thing we need is people walking around with a t-shirt that says, Good boy gets his treat. <laughs> if you love that catchphrase, no, please, please, no, please it's not becoming this. It. Please not, tag it, us, make that hashtag. Does, if, that bec- if that becomes a hashtag, <laughs> if that becomes merch that we sell, I will quit. Um, Good boy gets his treat. <laughs> The, the 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 Runaways Cody is one of my favourite series. I adored it. Um, Brian K. Vaughan, um, who of course has got the uh, Why the Last Man series coming out right now. Oh, I love that. Even though it's a DC Vertigo series, Disney are putting it out via Stars, which is weird. Um, uh, but yeah, the Runaways series. I, I did. I did. I have not seen the the, the TV show, but I love the comic book. Um, I I've got a very soft spot for the Inhumans because one there are, there was Stan and Jack creation and two Dan Abner and Andy Lanning the, the Guardians of the Galaxy guys get their hands on the characters later down the line and we get a big sweeping cosmic story that ties in with the Shi'ar who we're going to see a little bit more now of this we get this glorious it's called the War of Kings and it and, it, and it's this huge cosmic political battle that goes on between the Kree, the Shi'ar, the Skrulls, um, and the Inhumans, and it's it's great fun. Uh, Abnett and Lanning are, are terrific um, in, in, in their roles on that. Um, and X-Men 3 The Last Stand is not happening. Um, you'd, there, there would have to be some sort of crowdfund go for if you we get maybe we'll maybe we'll do it one day maybe we'll do like a gofundme thing funnily funnily enough we already have one of those things it's called pet our patreon no 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 that's just to support the show and to keep us going you you, i mean big books if you want me to do x-men through the last stand we're talking dollar dollar bills if you if 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 you know a couple of hundred of you pitch in to make it happen, maybe we'll talk, but I don't see I don't oh, see it happening. Uh, so that's from the mailbag. You can always uh, drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. But of course, the very best place to get in touch with us, to visit us, is on Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um that's where all our bonus content lives, and that is where the real G's live. I'm talking Peter J. I'm talking Mikey W. I'm talking Zach Thomas. The people that really support the show, that really do the right thing. Because just have a think about the podcast that you listen to. Maybe there's a little sport podcast. Maybe a little couple of comedy people that chat about something. A true crime, this, that, or the other. And tell me that any of them put in the kind of work, sweat, tears, passion insight that me and will do that marvel versus marvel does you know we're we're top of the heap you know you you can feel the energy the passion the work in every single episode of these and if you're just sat there enjoying yourself with no pain on your end with no pain in your (laughs) wallet how dare you um pleasure equals pain uh, don't just consume, contribute. The only way of keeping great things that you enjoy going in this day and age, because look, we're not getting that Joe Rogan contract. Spotify are not knocking on our doors anytime soon. No. They love they love having us on the channel. They're not paying us big bucks to keep going. We can't do this without you. It li- Literally and genuinely, we can't do this without you. During the during the lockdown, it was a great, it was great for me and we'll have a project because 
there was no work for us to do. But to peer behind the curtain, now we're, you're literally talking about, you know, taking days out of our schedule and calendar where we can't earn. And we love doing this and we want to keep doing it for you. We want to keep doing it for us and we want to keep doing it for everybody. But, you know, it's a different it's a different scenario now to a year ago when we were playing around with it because we couldn't leave the house. <laughs> like... <laughs> If you if you love these episodes, if you love the fact that we do, we're dedicating at least two episodes to the Phoenix, plus we more later on this year, and we're doing Superman, and we've got things coming up like Into the Spider Verse. If you love the fact that we do a four hour Civil War episode, you know we we need your help to keep going. Um, we've got a virtual tip jar that is patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, and in exchange for your contributions and your pledges, we give back with incredible bonus episodes. We are just dropped for the month of September, the September episode of our of our spin-off show, Obscure Marvel. Will, how much fun do we have with uh, with that one? Oh, oh, tremendous fun. Tremendous fun. The new the new one coming out is gonna be even more tremendous. It's it's out there right now. If you think about it. When oh, this yeah, episode sorry, is yeah. out, Ooh. it'll be out there right now. Yeah. Um it is. Uh, if you don't know Obscure Marvel, it's a, it's a show where uh, I I, uh, I expose Will to some of the most ridiculous, ludicrous characters in 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 the Marvel universe. Guys that are never going to be major players in the MCU, and and we have a huge amount of fun <laughs> going through the most ridiculous things written in Marvel. Everyone that supports us and pledges to us and gives us some cheddar gets access to the Obscure Marvel spin-off show. You get that every single month with a different ridiculous character, ridiculous story. Uh, that one is is a, is a thank you for doing doing whatever you can for us. And then the big brethren, they uh, they, they pledge that, uh, that £10 money uh, and they get access. Not only do they get access to, to these episodes like three days early, but they also get access to the full-length bonus episode. Every month they get another bonus episode, another episode of the Marvel vs. Marvel. And those ones, we, we, we separate ourselves from the TV shows and the movies, and we present something you know, from the comic book history that, that has not been turned in, in into a, 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 another media form. <laughs> and I've got a little something. Will doesn't know what's coming up in the month of September. Oh, hello, hello. And I think I, I think he's going to be very excited to hear about this. I am. And I think you folks are as well. Since we're doing our first ever DC edition in the month of September, oh, yes. in the next episode... We're going to carry some of that energy over, some of that theme over, in into the full-length bonus episode exclusively on Patreon. And we're going to explore, Will, the 2003-2004 DC Marvel crossover what? event. Oh, which it one's is, that? It's an event 25 years in the making, as the Justice League and the Avengers team up to save all of reality. What? It's a classic series by Kurt Basiek and George Perez, who are two of the absolute best in the business. JLA Avengers. Oh, that's too much. Um, it is. It is our, our our September full length bonus episode. It is exclusive to our Patreon. You cannot hear it anywhere else. So do the right thing. Support us. Help us. Keep us on the air. Make it so we can keep making these shows and get yourself access to incredible hour after hour of brilliant bonus shows. Head on over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. 
we have, I mean, we set the table with, with part one and we did even more table setting with part two. We paid some bills. We thanked the people that really matter the most. And now we are here to crack on with the, the last three episodes of the Phoenix Saga or the first part of the Phoenix Saga, if you will. We're going to be delving into the Cry of the Banshee, the Star Jammers, and Child of Light. And there's only one person who can do that for us. It is Mr. Ignorance himself, Will Preston. <laughs> yeah, side. It, it, is, it is. It is. No, I've got nothing else to say with Mr. Ignorance. Can you think of anything else to say? No, I've just, I've just remembered. Good boy, yes, it's, good boy gets get? his treats. <laughs> good boy gets his treats. <laughs> That's what's going to happen now. And like when we start like no. me reading a story out, he goes, "Now time for the good boy to get his treat." Oh my god! It's, it gets more horrifying every time. I do and there's me stuck in a basement in dirty pants and with a chain, going, "Do I get to read out the story?" <laughs> Let's please just crack on with the episode. Okay, we're on part three: the cry of the banshee. At Muir Island, Moira tells her fiancé, Sean Cassidy, about her relationship with Charles. They see a burst of energy coming from Charles's room and Moira runs to help, telling Sean that Charles's dark side could be active again. In his room, Charles is thrown around by his brother, the Juggernaut. Lelandra tries to take down the beefed-up mutant, but it's no use. Charles t- beef- Did, is that I, your- <laughs> I wrote that down. That wasn't me copying from a wiki page. I decided, you know what? Beefed he's up he's, mutant. Yeah, no, I like it. He's big and he's got that brownie red colour. He reminds me of Big beef. beefy boy. Yeah, he's big beefy boy. Charles tells her that he's invulnerable apart from the head. Lilandra blasts off Juggernaut's helmet before he knocks her out. But before he can hurt her further, Charles uses his powers on his brothers, bringing... Sorry, on his brother, bringing back memories of their childhood. Just then, an energy blast comes from the window and knocks out the professor. A figure emerges, Black Tom Cassidy, and reminds Juggernaut about their plan. Before they take Lelandra away, Juggernaut throws the unconscious body of Charles Xavier out of the window and into the ocean below. Juggernaut, in this, uh, he doesn't talk like Vinnie Jones, obviously. Uh, he he uh, he 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 reminds me of Macho Man Randy Savage, and I like it. Let's have some then. Yeah, it's like it's like either brother, you forgot about me with my helmet. It has that kind of voice to it. <laughs> it I, 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 there's a, a gra- there's a gravelly <sighs> note to it. Macho Man's a lot deeper and darker. Ooh. And I got a, no, I like. I keep thinking of that video where they just show the edits, the supercut of just him sniffing inwards. <laughs> it's like he sounds like a pug. Yeah, there's one for Ultimate Warrior of just yeah. him breathing in. It's hilarious. Yeah, um, so much. <laughs> so, is now the time we talk about the pot, the the juggernaut? Should we talk about? Well, we're not doing. We're not doing the last stand. So yeah, yeah I guess. I guess. I guess we do. We're gonna have to because Good Boy doesn't want his treat. <laughs> oh my god! Um, <laughs> Juggernaut. Uh, he 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 first uh, turns up in 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 the sixties. Um, really quite early on. The first, uh, I think it's like issue um, uh, eleven or twelve of, of the of the first X Men run. And he's actually introduced in this really unique and interesting way. You don't see him for the whole issue. There mm. is this 
powerful, scary thing destroying the mansion, Xavier's mansion, like room by room, bit by bit. And Xavier like gathers the X Men, he huddles them together in like the basement or whatever. Maybe it's the danger room, and he's like, "They're like, Professor, we've all got superpowers. Let's go out there and start." And he's like, "The last thing you should do is go out there. He'll just he'll kill you." And so they're all huddled together. As Charles tells them about his childhood and who this who this thing what what this thing is, you never see it. You see the destruction. You hear the roaring. You hear his voice. It's so unique. Mm. And we get this flashback um, of the Juggernaut is, is is called Kane Marco, okay, um, and he's the son of of Kurt Marco, who becomes um, Charles Xavier's stepfather when he marries his mom, obviously, um, and um. Oh, there's a thing about so Charles's dad. Charles's dad was partners, I think, with Kurt Marco, and Kurt is partially. It's kind of a, a Hamlet thing. Mm. Kurt is partially responsible for the death of Charles's dad, oh. um, and then marries his mom. Oh Kurt, no! Yeah, it's, it's gross. It's really there's really Shakespearean kind of stuff. Kurt Marco, when he marries, he favors. Um, Charles above his own son publicly Ooh. and repeatedly and abuses his own son like it hits him uh, and verbally abuses him and Charles is the smart one and all this sort of stuff and and Kane is like the the whipping boy and the kind of the the runt not the runt but he's like the he's like the the dog of the family and it's, it doesn't go very well and bullies him I mean Kane then turns that aggression on on Charles and bullies Charles yeah. frequently. It's a it's a really messed up family, um, and you're getting all of this backstory and flashbacks as this unseen thing that is apparently Kane is destroying the mansion and sounds ho- it's like a hurricane going on around you, like a tornado going on around you. Um, Kane and Charles are in Korea in the army because okay. of course it was the sixties, um, and uh, during something they're doing, they Kane finds a hidden ancient hidden temple dedicated to a forgotten god called Sitarak. Mm. Um and on entering this forbidden ancient temple he finds this this huge ruby, this huge gem. And it has an inscription on the stone and tell me if this sounds familiar. Whosoever touches this gem <laughs> um, <laughs> shall be granted the power of the crimson gem of Sitarak. Henceforth, you who read these words shall become forevermore a human juggernaut. That sounds less like an ancient mystical curse and more like uh, a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> writing on the stone. The, the beginning is very is very similar to the the inscription on Mjolnir. Whosoever holds oh, this hammer, yeah, yeah, be they yeah. worthy. There's no worthiness with Sitarak, though. It's just anyone. I don't care. I'll give anyone power. Please just touch my gem. Um, Good boy needs his treat. Stop it now, because you're <laughs> going to kill it too much. And and it's because it's not. You know, stop being funny. I would disagree with anything, him, but I'm, Rob is my writing I, partner, so if, I have to if agree. If anything, I'm actually quite glad that you're killing the humour from it. Um, <laughs> so it transforms uh, Kane into this powerful being, and, and there's a big cave-in, um, and he's not heard from again. 
you 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 know you don't see you don't see the character or get like this is a big cave in no one hears from him for years later and then he's destroying the destroying the mansion he, so he, he he's um he he becomes the it later becomes a bit more more than just he's got powers he's the avatar for this ancient entity this god or this devil or demon or whatever it is it's kind of like um uh you know all the different things that Oh, maybe you don't. Well, no, because we haven't done Doctor Strange yet. So we'll get forget that. Okay. Um, he has superhuman. He can shatter a mountain. Ooh. He can pick buildings up and use them as weapons. Nothing can hurt him. Um, it, 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 he, it, he generates this unseen field, this kind of mystical field around him that makes him completely, uh, completely invulnerable. Um, he's absorbed. He'd been hit by Thor's hammer and didn't move. Um, you know, he's really, really next level in the power, strength, and durability level. Um, and he cannot be... He's unmovable. He cannot be... When he's in motion, he's completely um, unstoppable. Mm. He's not a mutant, um, is he? He's basically a no, super yeah. being. Yeah, yeah. He's a mystically powered being. Um, and he heals very quickly, and he doesn't need... It's been discovered because he's been knocked into outer space and stuff like that. Uh, he doesn't need food or water or oxygen to survive. Uh, he's just he's yeah, completely kind of um, unstoppable, unkillable. The 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 attack on the mansion, um, the X Men cannot stop Juggernaut, um, and they don't stop him on their own. The um, Xavier ha- has to bring in help from the Fantastic Four, um, and it it, it 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 kind of it's this thing of wow. Charles Xavier and the X-Men can't stop him alone. They need extra help. But then the extra help's kind of lame. Like, the Human Torch... <laughs> human Torch arrives, and you think, oh, is, is fire his weakness? No. He generates pulses of flames that hypnotise the Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is something that Johnny Storm has never done before or since. <laughs> what, hypnotise someone with, with fire? Yeah. For one brief moment, he can hypnotize someone with fire, um, and it distracts him long enough for them to to get. Angel flies over and rips the helmet off. The helmet is the only thing that protects the Juggernaut from Xavier's mind, mm. and so once the um, helmet is ripped off, Xavier can like attack his mind and make him go to sleep or make yeah. him feel pain or whatever he wants to. And and you know he doesn't do he comes back and he menaces them I think a couple of times in the sixties and he has clashes with um, Hulk and um, I think Fantastic Four maybe uh, but but then he you know he's not he's not like um, a, a regular recurring character and it's not and the, the Phoenix stories are like his big return mm. to uh, to being used and it's the first time he meets this new. X Men team because of course the X Men were mothballed at the end of the sixties and it was about five years until <laughs> they were brought back as the all new all different X Men. Wow, I I like that he, that he's not a mutant because it's like oh yeah remember this is just not about mutants other stuff can happen too the world's a crazy and dangerous place. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to. I mean the the there was a couple of times in the sixties when. There's um, an alien or um, a, vi- a villain for the X-Men that isn't a mutant. 
not very often. And then once you get the new team, it's it's all mutants. Yeah. Uh, well, well, until we get to what we're currently doing, where Ooh, it's yes. uh, mutants and aliens. Spoiler alert on the very thing you're watching right, listening to right now. <laughs> okay, back to the story. At the cliff edge, Moira and Sean see Charles plummet into the ocean, and without a moment to lose, Sean jumps off the edge and uses a scream to fly and catch Charles's body before bringing him back to safety. When Charles awakes, he explained what happened in his room and how he was ambushed by an unseen figure, but Moira says that no one else is in here. It's all in his head, and he needs help. But Charles knows Alandra is real because he senses her love for him. Meanwhile, at the hospital in New York... FYI, if someone uh, thinks you're insane and crazy and you're making someone up and you just it's all in your head, you don't convince them otherwise by, by saying, no, I know she's real because I can sense her love for me. That is straight jacket time. Yeah, that is that just reminds me of an episode of Frasier where they don't believe he's dating a model and that was that got odd because at one point you're wondering I, I don't believe this now either because it's too weird. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the hospital in New York, Jean Grey is being taken over by the Phoenix, startling Scott Summers, but while the entity speaks through her body, Jean is still out cold. Just then, Wolverine arrives and tells the team that Charles needs their help. Scott won't leave Jean's bedside. He believes that whatever is happening to Jean might be the answer to what's going on. Uh, Banshee, there is no way that someone can scream and look cool, is there? Do you not? Do you not think? I mean, maybe Rob Halford from Judas Priest. I think the Sonic scream kind of looks pretty cool to me. Yeah, but but when he screams, it's like. Well, it doesn't sound cool. This is, I don't know. I don't know. I thought yeah. I thought at the time, and now uh, I thought at the time, and now retrospect, I'm like, wait a minute. Rob Halford and maybe Bruce Dickinson built their whole coolness on screaming, as well as other heavy metal bands. So I don't know. I just think I, it, uh, something something it struck me. It sounds. Isn't? It's meant to. I, I know what you mean, but it's. I think it's. I think it look. It always looks cool in the comics. Um, mm. but I think it does sound very off-putting. But it's meant to. It's meant to be this. Horrible noise, I guess. I, 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 I like horrible as in discomforting, not horrible as I said, ooh, that's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> oh, is it cr- oh, you think his superpower is to cr- make you cringe? He's cringeman. Oh, God, this is so awful. I've got to go. Ah, uh, I know I was going to rob the bank, but now he's doing that. I'm just going to go. Bro. I me to pr- take me to prison. Take me to prison. He's like, bro, seriously. Bro, yeah. no, no. Stop it, bro. So let's talk more about him then. Uh he is part of the Phoenix stories in the comics, right? Yeah, the, the Banshee is another um, like Juggernaut. He he predates the, the 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 new team. He's he's a character from the the sixties, the original run of, of Uncanny, well, of X Men at the time. Mm. Um, and he's originally introduced as kind of like a reluctant villain character, mm. um, who's working for this big big mastermind group trying to trying to get rid of the x-men um roy, roy thomas and uh who who is kind of like the successor to stanley in in almost every way um he created him along with uh werner roth the artist werner roth and he was banshee was originally conceived much like the 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 
the folklore and the myth and legends as a female character would be a banshee character um but stanley the editor waded in and said um it won't look good <laughs> for an entire team of heroes to gang up and beat on a female villain yeah so he, he nixed that idea of a lone female villain getting you know getting ganged up on by the whole the whole x-men team um so Banshee becomes a male character. Uh, Sean Cassidy, um, a mutant with that power, he gets kind of like they. He's invited to join or work for uh, a mutant terrorist group called Factor Three. Um, now their kind of um, raison d'être, their kind of credo mm. is the to further the mutant cause by becoming the third world power. Oh. It's nineteen, it's nineteen, kind of nineteen sixty six, sixty seven. So, uh, United States, USSR, and then Factor Three, um, the the mutant race should be the third superpower. And Sean Cassidy is like, no, you're all insane. I, I'm like, <laughs> like you, you do you not do you if you not do you not know my background? <laughs> I I was a police officer, and before <laughs> that, I was an Interpol agent. Like, why would you think I would do that? He is from Ireland, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just can't imagine an Irish Interpol agent. I, I don't know. I just don't. Why? I don't know. You don't think of them as Europeans? Yes, that. How dare you? I, I think I, I, yeah. I always, I always get that that weird mistake in my head where I think, oh no, is, isn't that? No, it's not. The don't UK. No. say it. Oh, no, I know. I am. I'm dead for saying that. Yeah. So they. <laughs> yeah. They they try and recruit him and he says no, so they kidnap him and they they plant um bombs around his head. So we first wow. see him with this like metal metal headband on and the headband is like full of explosives. And they do as we say, we'll blow off your brain. <laughs> so they force him to attack to, to be an agent for Factor Three and attack the X Men. And you know the X Men help, and Professor X kind of helps them, and they get rid of the thing, and he he helps them defeat Factor Three, and then he makes another like one or two other appearances just as a as a as a side character, mm. um, but that's it. He's not he's not much of a big deal. And then when they decide to recreate the X Men in 1975 with this new team, the mandate from on high is they need an international team they need every character should be from a different either kind of uh nationality or ethnic background kind of thing so you've got um a native american um and you've got uh, a kenyan and you've got a russian and a german yeah. and stuff and so they think they think banshee is a good fit for that he's already been introduced as a character you know he's not a brand new character like uh nightcrawler or colossus of storm he's got a bit of um history behind him um and so when Professor X puts together this new team to go and rescue the old team who are uh being held captive by a a, a sentient living island we'll get to it later um <laughs> he 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 he, yeah. he joins in with that and he becomes a, a key member of the team during this whole uh, Phoenix um saga bit and he 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 he's him and Wolverine are noted although you don't know about Wolverine straight away would you know it at this stage? Yeah, you'd know it at this stage. But him and Wolverine are notable for being much older. They're like 10, 10 12 years older than, than the rest of the team. 
Mm. Um, he's like a properly fully grown. I was, you know, I worked for Interpol and I was I worked for the NYPD. Um, I had a whole life and a career and everything. Whereas Colossus is quite young. Yeah, Nightcrawler and Storm are quite young. They're not teenagers, but yeah, that's um, that's Banshee kind of up to this point in the Phoenix story. Excellent, excellent. So back to the story. At Mirror Island, Black Tom meets with the Shi'ar agent Eric the Red. Tom refuses to hand over Lelandra until he is paid. Eric promptly blasts Black Tom and demands to know where Lelandra is being held. But before he can get a second shot in, Juggernaut grabs the alien and tries to crush him. Eric's mind-controlled guards start firing on the Juggernaut, so he throws Eric at the guards and starts demanding to be paid. Back at the research facility, the X-Men arrive in the Blackbird and Wolverine immediately bumps head with Moira's fiancé, Banshee Sean Cassidy. Moira calms them down and the team goes to find the Professor. So Black Tom and Juggernaut, they do seem like an odd couple uh, and working for an alien seems even more odd. What was what was the line that we said in the previous episode? That Wolverine said. What's Wolverine's makes about as much sense as anything else we do. Makes about as much sense <laughs> as anything else we do. See, if we Great. were if we had sound effects and stuff in this show, I would just press a button and get oh, that'd be it. Oh, so good, cue. wouldn't it? That would be so go, good. Go and go and subscribe to Patreon. Give us some money, and we'll be able to make this happen. We'll be able to have a high tech show. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Uh, is there anything else like this in the comics, or is this is this is this peak madness? What the, the, uh, wait, what? The is this peak madness? No. <laughs> yeah, is, is this is this Black Tom Juggernaut thing in the? In yeah, the is there anything like this in the comics? Yeah, is, is this happen? Yeah, yeah. They didn't. They didn't kind of go. Oh, we need to. Yeah, it does seem like the, the cartoon series said which characters as, can we use here that aren't important anywhere else. Let's just throw them together. But no, it, it, it's again like like so much of this of this Phoenix saga. It's taken directly from those the, the classic 1970s original phoenix story mm. um black tom is the cousin of of sean cassidy uh-huh. here i think he's his brother yeah i think in, in in the comics it's their cousins um uh he has the power to generate blasts of like heat and energy through wood <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry 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 through wood yeah, he can't do it from his hat. He, he has to be touching. So he has a shillelagh. Oh, right. I thought he meant... Or like, a walking stick. Like his powers have to penetrate wood, not he has to use wood. Uh, they have to penetrate... Yeah, he has to use wood. He can't generate them from nothing. Yeah, he, he has, has to, to be holding wood like wood. a wand. I thought you meant like he had, an, he had a beam or something. But it's like, ah, it only works if, if there's wood in the way. <laughs> someone's hiding, oh, right. No, no, no. If yeah, someone's hiding to... behind an oak table. No, no, no! It has to emanate from wood. Like, yeah, I guess, like I hadn't, hadn't thought about one. He uses his shillelagh to kind of focus it and scrabbled it all out. A shillelagh, um, a shillelagh, yeah, yeah. What is a shillelagh? It's uh, like an Irish. Uh, it's a. It's. It, I don't exactly know the history of the shillelagh, but the shillelagh is like um, it's, mm. it's shorter than a walking stick. Yeah, and if I used to work in an Irish bar, uh, and we had two shillelaghs an Irish pub we had two shillelaghs behind the bar and they are for um, anyone asking they are for decorative purposes <laughs> because if you assault someone with something like a baseball bat yeah. that you keep for a weapon you can be done for <laughs> using a weapon 
if, however, it is a decorative weapon, then you're not keeping it with intent to assault someone. There we go. Um, so we had shillelaghs behind the bar, and that's as far on that story as I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and until someone buys me some whiskey, and we'll have a chat. Yeah, um, uh, yeah a shillelagh. So, so he has a, 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 a banshee. And Tom, they have this rivalry and they're youngsters, mainly because um uh there's a there's a, obviously there's a woman involved, Maeve, um, who they both are in love with, and Sean is left the majority of the family fortune, I think, and he's in line for the estate and Tom isn't. And then Sean marries Maeve, who they were both rivals for, and that really, really uh, annoys um annoys black tom mm. so uh, yeah black tom's a weird name the more you say it isn't it <laughs> yeah what's his superhero name how do we know he's a villain <laughs> we'll just call him black oh I, I, dear. And that won't I age would, badly i would guess it's to do with like a black sheep yeah the black sheep of the family but but, he, but even yeah. even that's very problematic in itself um so while sean cassidy's away working for interpol it's yeah. like um uh, Tom Cassidy is meant to be looking after uh, his wife, and she gives birth to a little girl, and then she dies. I think in like a terrorist, but I think it's like an IRA attack or something. Um, and Sean doesn't know any of this kind of stuff because um, he's away working for for Interpol and can't be communicated. So when he comes back, um, his wife's dead. He's devastated. He blames Tom, his cousin, for not looking after her while he was away and he doesn't even learn like he's so angry he kind of gets into a fight with tom before tom says oh but by the way you have a daughter so he doesn't even learn about his daughter and short banshee uses his sonic scream um and and tom falls into a, a chasm and badly breaks his leg giving him a limp for the rest of his life and He's so angry, quite justifiably, at, at Banshee. He's like, I will... He swears to make him pay. He was like, I will I will raise your daughter as my own and never tell you about her and turn you, her against you. And I will, I will get the fortune and I will get the estate and the castle. I'll get it all back from you. And so he goes on and becomes a criminal with a limp and a cane or a shillelagh. And... In prison, he meets the Juggernaut. Uh-huh. This is this is the weird bit where you go. They just keep him in a prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what kind of prison are we talking about, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there might be a way in which they've turned him back. I can't remember. Um, and they become really good friends and, and allies, and so they get busted out of prison, and they um, end up. They work for Eric the Red, but I don't think they work for Eric the Red quite like this. I think what Eric the Red does is he gives them information and maybe even funding. I think it's just information. It's basically like, here's how you can strike at your the person you hate yeah. who happens to be an X-Man. It's not like you work... For, but Eric the Red, as we said in, in part one... He's working behind the scenes in all these because like, a series of like ten issues where every everyone who's like attacking the X Men or coming for the X Men, every confrontation they have, Eric the Red's behind it all, but in the shadows, really. Bloody hell! Okay, so back to the story. At Black Tom's lair, he's counting his fee from Eric: ten million dollars. 
Juggernaut enters the room with an unconscious Lilandra. Eric wakes her up and she calls him by his native name, Shikari. Shikari, Shikari, oh baby, when you talk like that, you make a woman go mad. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> that, that's bringing a bell. Was that, the, was that the singer sensation Shikari? Shakira. Shakira. Oh, my God. I mean, there's nerds who have no experience of the world outside of Simpsons and video games, and then there's you. <laughs> I like music. It was like, I think it was it was like the 20-year anniversary of, of that, of not that song, but of her big one being released the other day. Uh, you know, that, that one where she sings about... And every time yeah. I heard that, I'd, I'd always yeah. think that was like a weird noise. You know, it always come on in strange places. It come on in strange places, wouldn't it? Just you know, wherever, whenever, whenever. You know. Where's she from? Colombia, was it? Mm. I think yeah, so. Colombia's second best export. <laughs> <laughs> I love that pause. I love that pause. There's a, there's a, that that joke is can be perfectly acceptable because it could also what you could be saying is coffee. Why? What are you talking about? But yeah. you, you no, know. we're talking about something else that makes Scarface you annoyingly awake that you grind up. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Shikari, not Shakira. <laughs> I am very out of touch with uh, p- female pop icons. He dem- from twenty years from ago. 20- yeah. Man, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> he demands to know the location of the M Cran crystal. While Landra sends out a psychic signal to Charles, asking for help, at Charles's room, Wolverine, Wolverine mutant senses a detect. Sorry, Wolverine mutant senses detect a scent that is not from anywhere on Earth, proving the professor is not imagining Landra. Xavier suddenly receives a vision of the Cassidy family crest, giving away the location of where Landra is being held. At the Cassidy family castle, the team fly in with the help of Banshee, but are set upon by Eric's guards. However, they're quickly dispatched by Banshee's screams, which also rumble the castle, making their presence known to everyone. So in the last episode, you said that in the comics, uh, Eric the Red isn't chasing after the m crystal. So what is his mission in the original story? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you remember from part one, the Emcran crystal is not something you can hold in your hand. <laughs> it's no. like the size of a city. It's the size um, of Swansea. <laughs> Swansea on a good day. Ooh. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Shakiri, uh, Shikari, uh, Eric, he's uh, he is. Um, he 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 basically lives there. He lives in and around Earth. I think he observes Earth from around the moon, um, and and he basically has nothing to do. No, he does live inside he a volcano for a brief period of time. I forgot about the period of time he lives inside a volcano. Um, He's basically he unemployed, or a Bond villain. He just <laughs> yeah. doesn't have he doesn't have a huge amount to do because the Earth is not a terribly interesting sector for the for the Shi'ar. And uh, but then Lilandra, who's we said is first admiral of the of the Shi'ar fleet, um, like the top general, turns on her brother, or you could say her brother goes mad and she's the only sane one. And Lilandra hopes to fight. She needs to con- She needs help, and she does have this bonding, this this psychic bonding to Charles Xavier. 
across the cosmos, across different you know galaxies, and she's coming to him for help and for the X Men's help. So uh, Deken knows that she's going mm-hmm. to Earth, and 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 so basically he enlists um, Eric the Red to kill Charles Xavier. So it's not to he's not after the Mcran Crystal. His big mission, he's not even after Lalandra, really. His big mission is to kill Xavier. Um, and so he, he does all these, you know, as we said before in, in part one, he mind controls Cyclops' brother Havoc and he, um, he, he, he puts, he basically puts Black Tom and Juggernaut on this, this kind of path to, to try and destroy the X Men. And he br- basically bring, <laughs> yeah. he finds baby Magneto, who has become a baby. Oh, yeah, I remember this. He reages the DH Magneto, yeah. uh, of course, and you know sets a, a big old thing. He, he convinces Fire Lord, the Herald of Galactus, to attack them. There's a lot of wacky fun. I like that. Sorry, I just uh, big up for Baby Magneto again. All I'm imagining him is him in his little helmet and a cape and just that and a nappy, <laughs> and he's like, "Wee! I want mutants to rule!" Wee! And <laughs> jumping up yeah. and down. Yeah, That's like, pretty much how it went, yeah. Like like a Muppet Baby scenario. Back to the story. <laughs> the X-Men burst into the room, Lalandra is kept in, and fight Juggernaut, Black Tom, and Eric the Red. Before Wolverine is able to free Lalandra in the confusion, Black Tom apprehends him, but Banshee jumps in between them and starts fighting his brother. As the fight continues, Lalandra breaks free from her bonds, but is suddenly kidnapped by Juggernaut. The X-Men are able to stop Lalandra's captors on the roof of the castle. So it seems uh, weird to have gone all the way to Scotland to immediately turn around and go off uh, to the island, go off to island for this castle. Like, does any of this happen in the original Phoenix Saga? Um, Muir Island is not a part of it at all. Yeah. Moira and Muir Island and that research facility isn't a part of it we we we've seen we see this with the proteus um storyline which is around this it, it's after this because when when it, it's coming up it's coming up and we'll deal with that at some point as well which will be fun uh okay i promised leprechauns you promised leprechauns you will deliver i will deliver so the the if you remember from part one the the space shuttle um, it's crashed. It's crash landing through radiation, and Gene is, is blasting through radiation. Gene is the only one that can that can pilot it. She calls mm. out for help, and something helps her, and they crash land, and Gene's practically dead. And then she flies out of the water yeah. um, as some brand new cosmic being with a cool new costume, saying, "I am Phoenix," and then goes into a coma, and everyone thinks she's going to die. But then the moment the doctors find out that she's <laughs> not going to die. Xavier says, "All of you go on holiday." <laughs> oh yeah, I remember right this. now, all of you go on a holiday. Yeah, um, and at the same time, Banshee has got this letter um, from his solicitor saying that uh, the he's inherited his ancestral home, the Cassidy Keep, um, and uh, and Banshee's like, "Obi Gora, well, you know, if we're going on holiday, I've just." 
got a castle. Do you want to go and look at my castle? Mm. And so off, off they go. Everyone but Cyclops, who of course uh, is not going to leave Jean's side, but um, the team at the time is, is uh, Banshee, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Storm, Wolverine. And they all go off on holiday together, which sounds like something Wolverine absolutely would not do. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they, they, they arrive at this castle and they they are they're not aware of it, but but Black Tom is watching them, mm. um, and he has uh, some nefarious plans, and he's got like uh, the groundskeeper is working for him, and he wants him to set a trap, and the groundskeeper's like, "Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it." And he's like, "I've got um, all of I've got the family of all the people that work in this castle in this keep." They are all they're all in chains, and I'll kill them if you don't help me kill Banshee and the X Men. Um, so that's kind of what happens, and they all get led into a trap, and Juggernaut attacks and just starts smashing them all up to place, and they get trapped in a very small enclosed chamber. Storm starts losing her mind because of claustrophobia. This is the first time we see Storm's quite storied. It happens loads in the cartoon series. She has intense claustrophobia. This is kind of the first time it, it rears its head. Um, however, <laughs> all of this has gone on. Ban- uh, Juggernaut is like smashed his way through the X Men, and they've all gone flying to their to the not quite their deaths, but they've been captured and locked up. But Nightcrawler has been rescued by the resident leprechaun <laughs> that lives <laughs> in Banshee's castle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Resident leprechaun. Yep. There, there are leprechauns. It, this is the first and maybe only time the X-Men go to Ireland and out come the leprechauns. And they're, they're not like with a top hat, and the, but they are, there's a whole group of them, tiny little leprechaun men. Not little people, like, like so small they have to be magic. Or mutants, yeah. I guess, but... Uh, and they they rescue Nightcrawler, and when he first sees them, he's like, "Was is das?" He got in Himmel. He can't believe what's going on. And das ist etwas kleiner Mensch. It's super weird, and you keep waiting for there to be a line of dialogue where the leprechauns say, "Oh, we are much like you mutants. We're yeah. a different offshoot." Or no, nope. There is no attempt. Do they start to... singing a little song? No, no, no. But there's no attempt to explain the leprechauns as being <laughs> anything other than leprechauns. <laughs> of course, we're here. We live here. We're leprechauns. And um, haven't you? Been, haven't? Did you get the memo? Something goes on with the with you know the yeah. X Men. They, they fight back against Juggernaut, and and the leprechauns help Nightcrawler release some of them. And off we go to the races with a big fight. During the fight, Wolverine gets lost. Okay. And so the leprechauns approach him God. and offer to guide him to the other side of the castle where he can help people and do his fighting and everything. And much like Nightcrawler, Wolverine is like, what the hell is this? Um, and, and he, he says the immortal line. Nah. It, it, he, he, he does not trust them. Of Who does he trust? And then he immediately does trust them. And oh, do you know why? Because they're magic. They call him Logan. Ah. And this is the first time ever that the Logan 
is used as Wolverine's name, real name. It had never appeared in comic books before. No. And the very first yeah, and the very first person to call him by his real name, the very first utterance of Logan as Wolverine's name is done by a leprechaun <laughs> in oh, Banshee's God. castle in Ireland. Um and uh That's... And yeah I, and it, it all goes, you know. Banshee uses a sonic scream and blows things up, and they beat them, and they, 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 they defeat them. Uh, Black Tom gets gets like hurled into the over, uh, like you know how he throws Xavier out of a window into the sea. Well, mm-hmm. that in the comic books that happens to Black Tom. Black Tom gets thrown right. to the sea, poison in Juggern- the sea, and Juggernaut leaps after him because it's his best friend. It's his only friend. Oh, and wow. so he doesn't stay and do criminal stuff. He's like, no, Tom, and jumps out after him to help him. Um, and then at the end, they all look at, like Wolverine and Nightcrawler are looking around to see where the leprechauns are. And um, they aren't anywhere. And they are never mentioned ever again. <laughs> it never comes up. In fact, you can, if you read, there's a synopsis of of, of some of these stories on Mm. on certain websites. If you go to, like, the number one website for X-Men synopsis and read the synopsis of these issues, there is no mention (laughs) of the leprechauns. It says the native people of the castle help him. And I I was like, no, I, I am reading it right now. They are not the native people. They are leprechauns. They call themselves leprechauns. Is this one of those things where you go, we can't call them leprechauns because that's insensitive? No, it's just, it, it. it's because down the line, people writing about it do not want to put that in because it seems like a super weird thing that happened and then the writers never mentioned it again almost as an admission of yeah, that, that was weird. I don't know why we had a talking horse in that episode. Yeah, yeah. let's just forget it. I, I, I like that because what they're doing is they're putting context on, they're putting a new context to make it seem less weird. <laughs> Oh man! So there we go, leprechauns. The first, the first thing to ever call Wolverine Logan was an Irish leprechaun in uh, Cassidy Keep. Oh god! Okay, back to the story. However, at that moment, a new figure flies in and lands between them—a powerful, purple-skinned alien with a big mohawk. This is Gladiator. He demands to know where the M Crown Crystal is as merely capturing the Landra isn't enough. An impatient juggernaut tries to fight Gladiator, but the extraterrestrial warrior effortlessly throws the hulking mutant into the distance. The X-Men try to fight this new being, but they are unsuccessful. Uh, Seeing Gladiator take a punch from Juggernaut before throwing him was genuinely fun. He's a big, powerful fella. Yeah, big, powerful. I like it. It's, it's it's like you know when people say oh who would win between this and that it's like oh well they're unstoppable aren't they it's nice to see an unstoppable person get hoyed. What kind of pose was Gladiator doing? I forget. I've ch- he's got his hands hands on his hands on his hips and yeah. he just takes the punch in the stomach. It's a very with his cape billowing behind him. Yeah, feels like something we might see in the next episode to me. Oh, stay tuned. No spoilers. Well, there will be if you keep listening. <laughs> so let's talk about him, though. I mean, uh, I, I take it he is in the Phoenix Saga, the original story. Mm. Yep, good, good, good. Kalark um, of the, the Strontian race. Um, so not Shi'ar. So the Shi'ar is, an, is like the Roman, as we as we perhaps say several times, the Shi'ar is the Roman Empire. Right. So um, 
the Shia are the people that rule, but in their empire are all these other races, um, and the Strontians are one of them. Right. Um, yeah. All Strontians are, are born with the capacity for great strength and and loads of different superpowers, loads of different superpowers, but they can only use them and get access to them when they are completely devoted to a purpose. Okay. A, a Strontian with a cause is powerful. A Strontian with no cause is not. Okay. And Kalark, the gladiator, is has perhaps like this this absolute unwavering sense of duty. So he has this power because he has this purpose. He is praetor of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, which we'll talk a little bit more about coming up. Okay. Praetor. So, what's what's a praetor? Praetor is it's like a, a, a again I believe it does come from 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 uh, Roman Roman times. It sounds like a weird way of saying it, but it comes from the the Roman. It's it's, it's the it's a a rank. He's the leader of the Imperial okay. Guard because it's popped up in sci-fi, I think, and things like that. Yeah, sometimes they like to co- copy some of the Praelit and um and and and, and Praetor. Mm. So. Uh, Gladiate, the Imperial Guard were created by Chris Kleiman and Dave Cockrum at this time, and they're created as an homage to a DC Comics creation and team, the Legion of Superheroes. Right. Who are a, a classic Silver Age team that date back to, I think, the 50s. Um, and every member, as we'll get to, of the Imperial Guard is a takeoff slash homage to the great Legionnaire characters. One of the most famous members of the Legion of Superheroes, and the only reason you will ever hear of them, is Superboy. Superman when he was a boy. Okay. And Gladiator is a Superman character. Right. That's the whole point of him. Okay. Um, there's a 1930 novel called Gladiator, which is in some ways uh, influences the creation of Superman. So he's he's named after that novel. Um, his name Cal Ark is a <laughs> a combination of Cal L and Clark Kent. Yeah, I spotted um, that. Spotted and that right uh, so that's the uh, that's kind of the we he he has insane strength, flight. Invulnerability, heat vision, X-ray vision, all of Superman's abilities, basically. Um, he, but his strength isn't. He can. It's said his strength can shatter a planet. Ooh. Um, he can survive a black hole. Um, he 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 can withstand the heat of the Phoenix Force. Um, he can withstand Odin and oh, Odin's wow. power. Um. Direct attacks from Mjolnir and Thor, th- things like that. He's he's I- I- immense, immense power, um, and he's he's very long lived as well. He's got you know frost breath, super hearing, heat vision, you know all the all the Superman classics, um, all there in uh, in in kind of yeah in in, in Marvel X Men form. A lot of fun. Oh, nice, nice. I never knew it. Uh, Superman was based uh, on, a, on a book called Gladiator. Is it worth? Well, is it worth checking out? Guess. Guess when we're going to have this conversation. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Stay tuned, people. Don't. Yeah. Ever Next episode. Listen. <laughs> we're going to have an awful lot about about Superman, the history, the influences, where it all comes from. Okay. Okay. So back to the story. 
we're coming up to the end of the third episode now. Black Tom hands over Lelandra to Gladiator, with her sending another psych signal to Charles, which is also picked up by Jean Grey, who immediately awakes and transforms into the Phoenix and flies away to their rescue. At Muir Island, Jean Grey appears as the Phoenix above the Cassidy Castle, and Gladiator immediately fights her, but Eric manages to escape in his vessel. The two super beings fight, with Phoenix demanding Gladiator tell his master to abandon his plans to find the M-Cran crystal before launching him away from Earth and into the stars. Lelandra asks if Phoenix is the child of the crystal and says she must help her stop uh, the M-Cran crystal falling into the hands of his brother. Just then, another ship comes through a vortex containing Deken, who can feel the power of the crystal nearby. And that's the yeah, end of episode four. Sorry, episode three. The the cry of the banshee. Cry of the banshee. Um, how do you? How did you? Yeah, thoughts on that episode? There's there's too much going on. There's so much going on. They're, they're condensing a lot, but I must yeah. admit, as I know what you mean, as a child, as a kid, or how old I was uh, into my teens, this was the first time I felt like a a, a cartoon felt the same as comic books it's the first time and i was like yeah and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens yeah yeah it, yeah. it, it was just especially having read this series um it is the phoenix stories it's, it's a breakneck pace like we we talked in part one chris clement says that he was basically working on this idea that maybe i get to write this for a year before we're cancelled <laughs> so i'm gonna do everything fun and it's so cool yeah, you can really tell. Yeah, it, you can, and I and I appreciate they're condensing it here, but you can you can tell that the, if this was as true to the comics as you could be could could do to a degree, then bloody hell, that must have been fun. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, should we get to part four? Indeed, part four: the Star Jammers at Cassidy Castle. Charles offers to help Lelandra in her quest, but she must return to her ship, and she's unable to bring her with him. But Phoenix is able to. Just then, Lilandra and Charles sense a ship approaching. Thankfully, it's not her brother, but the Blackbird with the rest of the X-Men. Phoenix begins scanning for Deken's ship, where she sees the Emperor and his Imperial Guard. She tells Cyclops to help her prepare for battle, to, to battle the arriving ship. Phoenix tells the X-Men about how the fate of the galaxy lies in their hands. Jean harnesses her new Phoenix powers to wrap her flaming wings around most of the team and take them with her, flying into space. The shockwave from this immense power is felt across the globe by various mutants, including Emma Frost, as well as other Marvel heroes. Phoenix has left Xavier, Jubilee, Storm, Moira and Banshee behind. Jubilee says she doesn't think the X-Men are ever coming back. So in that montage, I like these little bits because you get a montage of other Marvel heroes and you, you start spotting a few. Yeah. I, I was right in thinking that was Doctor Strange at one point. Yeah, Doctor Strange at the end there. Um, and I think, I think he'd already appeared in Spider-Man at this point. I might be wrong. I, I, I have a feeling this is not his first appearance. But yeah, we got we got Emma Emma Frost in the Hellfire Club, which yep. is a you know foreshadowing for the Dark Phoenix saga Indeed. that is to come. Indeed, yep. 
We get Doctor Strange, and who was the first character we saw? I I thought we saw Spider Man, and uh, not no no that's coming up later. That's coming. Oh sorry sorry spoiler alert. I don't know because I don't want to say anything now because I might spoil it because I get it confused with the other montage. <laughs> All right. Later. Uh, we see Captain Britain flying over yes. Big Ben in London. We do. We and do. and he senses it. I can't quite work out. I think it was just a because um, I, I wouldn't. I mean, Emma Frost. I mean, this happens in comic books sometimes. Something big happens, and the uh, characters who are attuned to mystical forces or psionic forces feel it and go. Say you say you say, oh, this was a big deal. Without there being a crossover, Captain Britain wouldn't be one of the guys I think you would ever use in that capacity. But it was really cool to see him, um, especially because uh, Chris Claremont would would go on to write Captain Captain Britain in in the X Men spinoff Excalibur and stuff. And I guess he's mystically attuned um, through through Merlin and stuff, so I can see that kind of happening. But it was really cool to see him. Uh, it's a shame we never get a Captain Britain appearance in any of these things. Yeah, I, I don't did, know when we could ever do him. Did uh, did Alan Moore do a run of Captain Britain? Yeah, the most celebrated run. Yeah, oh, I would have loved that. Alan Moore doing a Marvel comic. Oh, he did. He did. He did several. Yeah, nice. Uh, so we his, got- his his Doctor Who series for 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 Marvel UK is very very worth a read. Oh, I'm not a Doctor. I'll Who allow. Fan. I'll. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's Alan Moore. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but I, I, I don't know. I, I've tried. I think there's only a couple of things by Alan Moore I could. I, I had a hard time with. I think his books mainly. When it, when there's no pictures to help me, I have a hard time. I, 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 I certainly, I certainly think he's fell off in recent years. The, yeah. the, the most recent League of Extraordinary Gentlemen has been unreadable tosh. Oh um, no, I like them. You mean Century? It's awful. I mean, the stuff with Harry Potter is utterly. Utterly dreadful crap. Yeah, really, I, really bad. Uh, well, I liked it. <laughs> you think you did, but in in, in reality, you didn't. <laughs> I liked it. It was a nice no. little mini series. It was. It worked for no, me. It, no, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. He's really. He's really. Anyway, back to the. Anyway. Know. So, uh, Jean, does she have this kind of power in the comics? Is this how the X Men get into space? Oh, um, I'm going to try and stop. I'm going to try and make sure we don't get angry letters. I don't get angry letters. Does Jean have this kind of power in the comics? Okay, it's a tricky question. Here we go. Because the Phoenix has um, a a complicated history and is rife with alterations and revisions. So if you're a mega X-Men Phoenixy fan, don't scream at your device and the podcast right now, okay, for what I'm about to say. At this stage, at this 1975, stage. 1975-76, the Phoenix is Jean Grey having attained her ultimate potential as a psychic. She's becoming, or has become, a being of pure energy that, that just kind of like reformed herself as the phoenix okay that's where she is and that is all she is at this stage in 1975-76 that is all she is at this stage so she doesn't have she doesn't have the power or right. or, or or she or maybe she does but she certainly doesn't do it what she does is um in the comics eric the red has constructed a a um, a warp gate, a stargate, 
on on a building in, in the roof of a roof of a building in Manhattan. So that's how he's going to depart with Lalandra through the portal to the Shi'ar Empire on the other side of the galaxy. Gotcha. The portal closes behind him, and it is dead and useless because whatever alien thing he was using to power it goes with him. Right. It's the perfect. It's the absolutely perfect. You know, no one can follow you through it because the thing that's powering it, you've got with you. It goes as soon as you step through, right? Mm. So you're you're already as soon as you're on the other side of the of the of the of the, of the galaxy in the universe, and what you've left behind is just like the framework for a a doorway that doesn't go anywhere. But the Phoenix is able to use her immense power to activate the warp gate. Ah, right? very convenient. So she doesn't do the teleporting; the warp gate does. But it's her power that 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 is able to juice it up and activate it and. They they step through the Stargate, the warp gate, and they appear um, in this incredible. This it looks like a coliseum, of course, because it's the Shi'ar. Yeah, and it's the coliseum on a dead world with the huge M Cran crystal behind them. The Mad Emperor. Eric the Red and Lalandra as his captive, and in front of them, the insane-looking Imperial Guard. Every single member of the Imperial Guard is a different alien from a different species, with a different <laughs> immense power, just like the X Men. Yeah, and and the the X Men have just walked through. Gene nearly collapses because it was a lot to. It took a lot to get them through that. They are surrounded by mad alien insanity and a crazy emperor who is about to destroy everything it's it's wow. a double page spread when they walk through to the, to the it's the it's this glorious scene it's just um a great artwork from dave cockram and 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 just and then it and then the fight starts and it gets even crazier because of who we're about to talk about so Back to the story. Back to the story. We're going to talk about someone in just a bit. Suddenly, at Lilandra's ship near the moon... <laughs> oh, God. You know, you know when you read something out that's quite ridiculous and then you realise what you just <laughs> said? At La- it makes about as much sense as uh, some of the stuff we do. Makes about as much sense as everything else we do. Uh, Phoenix teleports the X-Men aboard. In the centre of the room is the M-Cran crystal... Just as they start to safeguard the artifact, however, the ship is fired upon. The blast knocks out the X-Men and they are immediately boarded. A group of space pirates called the Starjammers come aboard and the two teams fight. Just as the X-Men get the upper hand and Cyclops prepares to finish off their leader, Corsair, Phoenix realises something amiss with this new adversary and tells him not to fire. But it's too late. They're all knocked out and Cyclops is taken prisoner by the pirates. As they wake up, Wolverine asks why Phoenix told Scott not to fire on Corsair, and she reveals that he is Scott Summers' father. Dum dum dum. This is turning into a space opera, isn't it? The the X Men from 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 the relaunch on is a soap opera. I meant I said space opera. Yeah, I'm and I'm I am talking around your point. I was not stopping you or correcting you. Okay, okay. The X-Men from its relaunch on really is a soap opera, especially with Chris Claremont. Um, it, it, the, 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 the serialized storytelling and everything, and the high drama of um, family 
and loved ones, secrets and lies and betrayals and all of that good, juicy soap opera stuff. And yeah, now that they're in space, it 100% is, um, you know, there are op- operatic-y kind of uh, levels to the drama and it's in space. It's it's glorious. Glorious. And yeah. Yeah, it's glorious. It is glorious. But who are the Star Jammers? Well, this is... I reread this um, uh, a couple of weeks ago in preparation for, for for doing this two-parter, and man, this this is this is a bit that blew my mind again. As someone that's read it several times, mm. it, 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 like I said, the X Men just step through this this warp gate, and they're in in this incredible alien arena full of the Imperial Guard who have got all different manner of powers and they have this massive fight. And in the middle of this massive fight, like, these pirates, these space pirates, just descend from nowhere and start firing on everyone and you don't know whose side they're on and they're on nobody's side. And I was really struck there by the Star Jammers in that scene. This layer on layer of, this is Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum going... We don't need the Avengers, yeah. the Fantastic Four. We don't need anything else that's already been created in the Marvel Universe. We we will build. We we are gonna. This story we're gonna tell will be just as big as any Avengers story, just as big as any Fantastic Four story, maybe even bigger. Right, and we're not gonna use a single stitch of another character. That already existed. We're not going to take something from the Avengers or the Fantastic. We don't need to. Boom! Here we go. Alien race. It's essentially like the Romans and an empire, and and then there's all these superpower beings, and then and then a, 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 a mad emperor, a, a giant crystal that's going to end the world, and 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 Lilandra, the long lost kind of space love of Xavier, and then these space pirates come jumping out. <laughs> the the way they. They layer complexity. They layer depth. It is not just a a, um, a two dimensional. Here are here is a race of bad guys. There's so much. There, there is like I said in part one. There's tons of political intrigue and backstabbing, and and then there's this layer of complexities. Here are these dissidents. These these space pirates. Like they they just keep expanding the breadth of of the the little world slash universe that they're writing in. It is so bombastic. It is so balls to the wall. And it is so... It really is... I mean, Chris Clement's like 25, 26 when he's writing this. And it really feels like this kind of anything you can do, I can do better to the rest of the Marvel <laughs> books. It's glorious. So, the um, the Star Jammers. So, the leader is Corsair. Uh, who's the human humanoid? The dinosaur-looking dude is Chod. Chod. C H apostrophe O D. Chod. Oh right, I thought it sounds like a a slang for a poo. Oh, how nice! Uh, Chod normally has a like a cat, like a a white furry animal pet thing mm. sitting on his shoulder called Kree. Uh, Kree. Um, I'm noticing a pattern here. Noticing a uh, pattern. Yeah, th- those those are oddly enough. Those are the Shia uh, name. How how all the Shia do their names? Naming which is weird because 
Mm. Which is, yeah, yeah. Which is weird because those two are different aliens. The bald one with a sword and a cyborg parts is called Raza. And the. <laughs> he sounds like a thug from Newcastle. Go on, get him, Raza. <laughs> and the cat woman is called Hepzibah. Um So, uh, yeah. They are all slaves that were slaves of the Shi'ar Empire in, in kind of that Roman, you know, theme way. And in in keeping with that theme, the, the slaves that rose up against the Empire rebelled, killed their captors, stole a starship, and they become pirates slash guerrilla fighters um, opposing the, 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 the Emperor. They were conceived by Dave Cockrum, who's the artist and kind of co-creator of the series at this time, mm. um, with the intent of having them star in their own series. Oh, like own... Guardians of the Galaxy sort of thing. Yeah, but this would be before the Guardians of the Galaxy that, you, that we know. So the Guardians of the Galaxy at the time were this... We talked about them in our Guardians episode, do you remember? They yeah. were weird guerrilla fighters but they were they were not pirates they didn't have any of that swagger to them whatsoever so this would have been this is the star jammers are like the precursor to the swaggering kind of bounty hunting space pirates that we know of the, the guardians um he submitted the concept to so marvel had as we've talked about before two kind of tryout series marvel spotlight marvel premiere where you can get a story in mm-hmm. and if it's successful and they like it you can maybe get a series out of it but he was repeatedly told those those spots are booked up for like two three years solid. Oh um, wow! So he he just had no. He was really annoyed because he thought it was a really strong concept. So he showed it to uh, Chris Clement and said, "This is what I really wanted to do, but there's no you know there's no space for them at Marvel." And 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 Clement was like, "I love these characters. They the designs are great. The concept is awesome. They look cool. Like let's use them in X Men and as a way in." like a plausible excuse for the Star Jammers to make repeat appearances in the X-Men, they decided to take the lead character, Corsair, and go, you know who he could be? He could be Cyclops' father. Um, and then there'd be this connection um, with uh, with the X-Men and with Outer Space. Exactly, and that's what we talked, talked about earlier with the, Bible, with the X-Men Bible. Yeah. Make it about connections, make it about... Yeah, make it personal. Tell personal stories. Yeah, even though this is crazy, but it, it works. It works. So I'll continue the story. Corsair approaches his son Scott Summers and refers to him as the last weapon they'll ever need. Meanwhile, Eric the Red and Gladiator approach Deken's ship to report back on their progress. Angry at their failure, the Space Emperor chides them and demands an update. Gladiator says he's seen the Phoenix a guardian of immense power who protects the M-Cran crystal. Just then, a hologram of Corsair appears and wants to cut a deal with Duquen. He sends an image of the crystal that is in his possession and says he will sell it to the Emperor for half of the Empire's Imperial Treasury. Duquen agrees and instructs Gladiator to destroy the pirate ship after the exchange is complete, despite swearing a sacred oath, much to Gladiator's concern. What do we see there? Uh, That's true villainy. Yeah, true villainy. When when your henchmen's he, he, a bit iffy, I mean, he swears a sacred. Well, that that shows us that Gladiator actually has a code. Yeah, and it also shows us that 
like not even a a, a sacred. He would he is an oath breaker on top of everything else. Instant he lies, he cheats, breaker. he steals. Yeah. yeah, horrible man. So we're now learning that the Phoenix is the guardian of the M Crown Crystal. Is that true in the comics? Um, uh, yes and no. Um, oh, okay. So originally, no, not not in 1975. Right. I'm okay. I'm relatively confident. There is some sort of vague dialogue um, that the Phoenix is 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 somehow um, prophesized in in the Shi'ar's religion. Mm. But I I I'm. It's not really explored. By the time this whole adventure is over with the crystal, it's kind of you know we've moved on. Um, now subsequent stories, more modern stories have expanded on what the phoenix force is and it, it is then in in the modern tellings it is described as the guardian of the crystal yeah okay okay cool so back to the story on the pirate ship corsair approaches scott summers and tells him about his deal with deken cyclops yells at him telling him that the emcran crystal could destroy the entire galaxy but corsair has a plan he needs to use the Emcran crystal to get close enough to the Emperor to kill him. He explains that Dickens has destroyed millions on, in his quest for power, one of them being his wife. Since Cyclops is going on board as a helpless prisoner, Corsair explains he'll give Cyclops one clean shot at killing Deken. Scott wrestles with the morality of killing someone in cold blood, but Corsair, Corsair says, The fate of the galaxy lies in his hands. So, why don't we talk a bit about Corsair? Is he Scott's father in the comics? Yeah. So, um, Scott's Cyclops' origin, yeah, going way back to the original kind of '60s stories, is okay. that um, he he was in a small airplane, okay, private airplane with his mom and dad, and they uh, this this is way back in the '60s. He the, the the plane engine caught fire. His parents put a parachute on him, the only parachute they had, mm-hmm. and they pushed they threw him out of the plane to save him and the, the and then the plane crashed and, and his parents died and Scott was an orphan. And part of the fall and the damage the, the trauma the head trauma he suffered in, in this in this fall being thrown out of the plane with a parachute and everything, it damaged his head to the point where that's why he can't control his optic blasts. Ah, so it's not to do with his power. His power is optic blast, but the uncontrollable part is because of head damage. Originally, yeah. Oh, okay. Then years later, in this, later on in the 60s, I, yeah, years later in the 60s, um, they discovered that actually um, Scott, and he has dim memories because he was a little, 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 little child, Scott wasn't the only little boy he has a brother who was also the parents used the two only two parachutes in, or they strapped and they strapped both boys to one parachute. Okay, okay. Um, and and Scott and his brother Alex were separated in the orphanage and didn't know anything about each other. And then he meets up with Alex, and Alex also has some mutant power and is the mutant becomes the mutant havoc. Mm. Um, and then this stage they kind of tie and wrap it all in together. So. We 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 find out through Clement and, and, and later on on Burn and stuff that um, the, the uh, Christopher Summers, um, Scott's dad, 
um, was an uh, like a, a test pilot for NASA and all sorts. He was a, a Air Force major, and they were in the private airplane with the two sons. And instead of it just being like the engine caught fire, they were attacked by an alien spacecraft. Right. Okay. They throw their children out to save them for whatever's about to happen, and they are uh, abducted, kidnapped, and they find their way into the 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 Shia Empire as kind of uh, um, curiosities. The the humans are kind of like it's almost like a zoological thing, mm. and then they end up in um, a, a, as slaves to the to the to the Shia Empire. Um, in in these horrible slave camps, wow! Um, they are given modern stories give him a, a very dark origin in space. Um, his him and his wife, you know, uh, the 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 Mad Emperor Daken uh, wants to wants um, Cyclops's mom Catherine to be one of his harem slaves and wants to you know Ooh. rape her. Oh god! And. Uh, Corsair attacks to stop that from happening, and so Ken murders Catherine right in front of Corsair's eyes, and then sends sends Corsair off to the worst slave pits, um, Mm. where where sort of political prisoners are kept. Um, That's not there in the seventies, all of it. Although it is clear that he that 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 his wife was killed by by uh, Emperor Ken. Right. Okay. They 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 make it look a little less harsh back then, or something. And then it they just don't dwell him. on it. They just yeah. don't dwell on it. They, they, it's quite clear. If you're an adult and you read about slaves and they use the word harem or whatever, you know the awful implications of what that is. But they don't yeah. need to spell it out for you. Of course, of course. So back to the story. Meanwhile, the X Men are pursuing the Star Jammer's ship. Lelandra asks Phoenix to transport them to the ship, but she is weak right now. Corsair approaches Scott and tells him the time has come. As they board Deken's ship, Corsair tells Scott that he's also from Earth and he barely remembers the children he left behind there. As the two approach the Emperor, Jean uses her psychic powers to find and communicate with Scott. Just as Corsair hands the crystal over to Deken, Cyclops is unable to fire. Gladiator then summons the Imperial Guard, a collection of alien soldiers with different powers. However... The Phoenix teleports into the throne room along with the X-Men. Corsair dives at the Emperor, shouting, You've lived too long. But to his, to his shock, he discovers that Deken was using a shape-shifting body double in his place. The real Deken tells the Imperial Guard to destroy the X-Men. I... Just thinking about the shape-shifting body double, do you reckon they... I, I, something, something annoys me about that, because I, I, I would have gone he might be using a body double... We are surrounded by superpowered beings and immense technology. There might be a chance there's a body double involved. You, you, you oh, you're saying that's what I thought. The character, the character should know that already. Well, they they should have like at least that thought should have entered their heads. I felt. Why? Be- because one, the X Men worked with a previously with a guy with that exact power. But Corsair, Corsair doesn't know that, does he? Yeah, but Cyclops could have gone. Oh, by the way, he might be using no, a body double. Listen, then, then you'd spend your then in every single scene. Whenever they encounter anyone, <laughs> Cyclops have to stop and go. Wait, wait. It, 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 what? I'm I'm fairly certain this is a, a shape shifting body double. No, they should have a little device. 
that you scan no. or just get Wolverine to sniff. You them. approach everything like a video game and you're all like trying to plan around the tactical scenario and and the stories kind of flow a bit differently, don't they? I know, I know and I don't know, I'm just used to, you know, surviving in video games. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe yeah, you're right. All yeah. all his time in them slave pits, Corsair should have spent a bit more time playing Metal Gear Solid. Absolutely. Also, there's a lot of super beings in this scene with different powers, as I said. Uh, is it worth us talking about the Imperial Guard? I mean, who are they? Yeah, as we said, they, they, yeah. Dave, Dave Cockrum, um, when they were devising, they knew they wanted this kind of super-powered team, these yeah. guards that have all different powers and stuff. And Dave Cockrum came up with a suggestion of, why don't we just quickly ape the, the the legion of superheroes from DC. Dave Cockrum spent two years as an artist on that book, and in fact, he designed several characters that were rejected from by DC that ended up becoming Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Ah, okay. Um, these rejected designs for Legion of Superheroes ended up becoming part of you know intrinsic x-men characters and he had a bunch of other kind of ways of of, of, of modeling on this stuff so he uh cockram spoke to uh paul levetz who was the writer of 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 legion of superheroes at the time at dc and showed him his ideas and his sketches mm. and designs and said do you think there's gonna be any problem with that and they they just they said nah it'll be fine there won't be any trouble over this so i mean i i guess i could go through and and say um well, the shapeshifter is Hobgoblin, and he's based on uh, a Legion of Superheroes character called Chameleon Boy. Um, and I could go and do them all, I suppose, but I don't. The problem is, you wouldn't know any of the of the Legion guys. Gladiator is Superboy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's you know there's a bunch of a bunch of others. Sorry, um, Hobgoblin. I thought there was already a Hobgoblin in, in Marvel. Uh, there was not at the time, no. Ah, uh, at the time. Okay, my bad, that's fine. This is the first Hobgoblin, and, you know, he's an alien from outer space. There's not much, you know, carryover. And he's he only ever operates as part of this group. Um, they, they're given um, an origin in, in kind of 2006. That they, 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 It's kind of apparent they're, they're different aliens from different worlds, and they come back again and again. They're such a rich, beloved part of, of the X-Men stories. Um the, the the kind of origin they're given in, in 06 is that centuries ago the Phoenix Force entity is in Shi'ar space for like the first time mm. and it bonds with a citizen of the Empire called Rukshir and he becomes the first to attempt to uh, control and, and, and embody the Phoenix Force but is ultimately overwhelmed by the power and becomes the very first Dark Phoenix um, goes insane and has a destructive impulses and rampages through the Shi'ar Empire and kind of destroys many planets in the process. And so, um, the 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 Emperor at the time creates the very first Imperial Guard for the purposes of stopping the first Dark Phoenix. And Gladiator is one of the first members, along with some others that are still here in this. And that 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 guard becomes then the the, the primary first line of defense of the of the Shi'ar Empire. Too right, you put Gladiator on first. It's like you built the team around Gladiator. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, we're up to the last bit of part four. As the mutants and aliens fight, Lalandra takes the Mcran crystal, and Corsair orders everyone back to the ship. But before they can get back to safety, they are set upon by more Shi'ar guards. 
just before just before everyone is safe, Eric the Red ambushes Cyclops, but is blasted by Corsair. One of Duquesne's guards with firepower with firepower knocks out Scott. Corsair grabs his unconscious body and heads to the ship, only to see Duquesne holding the M-Cran crystal, with Gladiator holding Lelandra hostage. Before the crystal can be activated, the Phoenix emerges, proclaiming itself to be the guardian of the crystal. But before the super being can do anything, Duquesne has already unleashed the crystal's power. Everything they know will soon be pulled into the negative energy of the crystal. How did you enjoy uh, this one, this episode? Well, as it, this this felt like there was less a lot of stuff going on, if you know what I mean. Because it, it feels like all the pieces are now out of the box, in place. We now just need yeah. to play it out, play out, and then there's no other surprises. That's it, it. Feels like they've done everything, and now they just need they, to I, conclude the whole thing. I think the episode before they were really trying to jam yeah. so many elements together. They wanted to introduce the Shi'ar and Gladiator and have this whole thing with Banshee and Black Tom and Juggernauts and also Jean's in the hospital kind of becoming the Phoenix. Yeah, you're right. It's a lot more straightforward now as we head into um, part five. So we come to the final episode, part five, Child of Light. On Deken's ship, the power of the Emkran crystal turns Deken into a super-powered form bonded with the crystal and is now creating his own universe inside the crystal, where everyone else will soon be. Phoenix needs time to study the crystal to stop this from happening, something which only she can do. Before that, she transports everyone aboard the Starjammer's ship and returns to Deken's vessel to scan the crystal, putting herself out of range of the Starjammers. Phoenix gets sucked into the M-Cran crystal, but a huge shockwave erupts through space, and Lelandra says that Phoenix has failed. They all look in horror as Deken's ship suddenly starts imploding with a blinding light. Okay, it's a huge thing, but how is how dangerous is the M-Cran crystal in the comics? Um, it, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it, this is the most dangerous... This is the biggest stakes that the X-Men have ever encountered. Right. It is the most dangerous, powerful thing they've ever come across. More than the Phoenix, which they're just sort of getting... You know, the Phoenix is quite a powerful cosmic. You know, it's like a Thor-level character um, was meant to be. Mm. But the M- the M-Cran is this, this huge... In the comic books, it's a huge pink crystal um, older than known history. Inside... There is like this other world, the kind of the city that you can sort of see unmoving within the crystal, and in that other world, there's a, a, a glowing sphere, which is which is a neutron galaxy. It's a it's a condensed neutron galaxy waiting to be born, um, and and it's kind of the nexus point of it's kind of sorry that makes no sense. It. It is said to be the nexus point of all matter and all antimatter of not only our universe, or sorry, the, the 616 universe, but all different realities in existence. The nexus point of everything in existence. Um, the, the, it has, the, the home world of the M-Crown crystal, no one knows where it came from, but it's the first planet to form, apparently, in the entire, you know, entire universe it's as old as time whatever race once lived there is long dead and only they're kind of they've got these structures which are one looks like um 
like a like a, a coliseum um and it's creators the creators of the of the world around it named the crystal the end of all that is and since ah. the shiar kind of uh, absorbed this kind of part of the galaxy into their empire the planet and the crystal remained strictly under shiar protection um it has a stasis field which keeps which keeps the world inside it frozen and should that be destroyed the gravitational forces would extend into the universe and it would suck all matter into a black hole with inside itself it would collapse this universe and then create like the thing inside it would burst free and create a brand new universe that would over 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 right hours oh god that's a nightmare that's a night that's a quantum that's a quantum quantum nightmare (laughs) okay so that's pretty that's pretty fearful back on earth there are environmental disturbances across the planet Charles Xavier deduces that the MCRAN crystal is responsible for the gravitational energy and it will soon absorb the entire galaxy. The X-Men are the galaxy's last hope. As the Starjammer's ship loses control from the crystal's gravitational force, they crash land on a nearby planet covered in pulsating growths. Before they can explore, Dekent appears as a godlike superbeing. The X-Men battle this fearsome being, but they are no match. So, does Deken gain all these awesome powers in the comics book as well? No, no, not at all. Oh. This is a big change. This okay. is a big change. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't like grant. It, this is quite a kind of a classic action adventure uh, cartoon thing. You know, a mm. thing. You know, it, it gains you great powers. Deken is certainly there's an, there's a certain alignment that comes up. Okay. Um, when X amount of planets or stars, I think nine of them are in the right alignment with the MCRAN crystal, it can unleash a great power. But it's you know that that is also conjecture, and it, and it could also be just um, a myth, and it's not clear what Deken hopes to gain by mucking around with the MCRAN crystal. But no, he th- this this is a very convenient for lots of battles and fighting and stuff, but. Um, all the fighting in the comics is done between the X-Men, the Imperial Guard, and the Star Jammers, and all that back and forth. But no, Deken doesn't get this kind of power. He's very quickly thwarted. Okay, okay. That's, <laughs> is that a bit of an anticlimax, would you say, in comparison? No, because um, he, it's, a, it's a madman's fallacy. Uh... Um, what he wants to do is probably just not... There probably is no way of getting power. Right, mm. they have to stop him from mucking around with the crystal to get power, and they fail that, and the crystal starts to to go very horribly wrong. But Deken doesn't gain any powers from it. He's not really the threat. The crystal is is really the the the, the big threat. Um, it's almost like we're beyond. It's almost like the X Men are going beyond a story where a mad villain is the threat mm. to this whole kind of almost existential level of it, it, it would be the end of reality. Yes, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay, back to the story. Lelandra shouts at her brother, telling him that the crystal will gain him nothing and that he's trapped within it. He will be destroyed by the crystal. Unless it is sealed, it will destroy the galaxy. 
but Duquen is too consumed by his hunger for power to listen to their rational pleas for sanity. Gladiator turns on his former master, but is quickly dispatched by Duquen. As Duquen captures Lilandra, Scott Summers hopelessly utters, there's nothing we can do. Meanwhile on Earth, several mutants, as well as other Marvel heroes, are trying to save as many lives as they can while the Earth is plagued by ecological disaster. Only the X-Men can stop these environmental calamities. So this bit, I spot, I said before, spotted Spider-Man and War Machine. Uh, what other non-mutant superheroes did you spot, Rob? The first is Sunfire, uh, mm. who is a, a Japanese mutant who is also a part of the brand new 1975 all-new X-Men. Um, he doesn't stay with the team very long, though. He uh, is... He is, if you can believe it, a hothead uh, with his with his nuclear flame powers. Oh um, my! And he is like Japan's only superhero, so he returns to Japan because he's like, well, you're not really doing anything for my people, and my people are Japan rather than mutants, and I'm kind of not really into this. So he goes back to Japan where he's a um, he's like a, a national hero, and we saw him here in a his his original costume is so cool his mask is so awesome he looks like it's like a a gloriously elaborate luchador um mask um mm. or a gloriously elaborate uh puritsu japanese wrestling mask it's cool um and here is is the the modern version where they went no mask that's better than a than a really cool mask <laughs> and then there's a team helping people um mm. and that's alpha flight Okay. Do you remember who Alpha Flight are? Are they the Canadian ones? Yeah. Because I the reckon it was a Sasquatch popping up. Sasquatch so, so I, I was there. Sa- he, of course, I recognise Sasquatch. He's based on a thing. He's based on a thing. Yeah, true. Yeah. And that's interesting because Alpha Flight are the team that Wolverine was kind of meant to be a part of. Mm. Uh, and then he runs away from the Canadian secret government agency and joins the X Men. And. That's interesting because as soon as the Phoenix Saga is over in the comics, the very next issue features Wolverine's Canadian past coming back to haunt him as um, a Vindicator, I think must be his first name. Yeah, Vindicator, mm. who is the leader of Alpha Flight, attacks Wolverine and is like, you have to come home. The government have sent me to get you. And we start to get our very first glimpse at Wolverine's past and his origin in his murky secret agent world and the superhero mutiny stuff he did before the X-Men. Um, so it's cool they're thrown in here uh, right before, because, you know, they're thrown in here in adaptation of the story. It's kind of just right before they're about to a- appear. Excellent, excellent. Also, does Gladiator ever turn on his emperor like this? Mm, oh, um he doesn't ever turn on to Ken. Um, mm. Gladiator is possessed entirely off purpose. Okay. That's how he has access to his power, as we discussed. Um, his purpose is to serve the throne. Right. And he's bound. It doesn't matter who's on the throne. He, he, he's not just bound by duty. In many ways, he is trapped by it. He is often seen completing missions and fighting people that he doesn't he doesn't want to be completing or fighting against but duty is what matters above all that's his grand purpose who whoever is giving the orders is not it, 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 he, he is bound to serve 
Um, and so he serves to Ken and he serves the emperors that come after to Ken. Um, he, he is at one stage, um, commanded to stop this powerful, uh, conqueror called Vulcan, who was determined to destroy the Shi'a empire, um, as revenge for what Emperor Ken did to him and his family. And Gladiator has this huge fight and, and Vulcan is a truly horrific villain, a really awful, like as bad as Ken, if not worse. And Gladiator captures him and delivers Vulcan to this 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 prison facility. And then there's this big coup. Mm. Um, there's this big uprising. They want to get back to the days of being a kind of a a shady military force as they were under Emperor Deken. And so this kind of like this resistance force or this coup d'etat free Vulcan and basically put Vulcan on the throne. Um, Vulcan who is not a Shi'ar. And okay. he, he can, he, he, he takes the throne. He kills, he, 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 he um, it's a coup against, um, Lilandra, who is Empress, um, who Gladiator serves loyally. But as soon as Vulcan consolidates his rule with the influential families of the Shi'ar and becomes the Emperor, Gladiator serves him as well. And he hates every second of it. Um, but but that's not part of his makeup. It is... A minute ago, I was I was kicking your ass and, and beating you and defeating you and locking you in prison. Now you're the emperor. I just have to serve you. Wow. Um, and it goes and goes and goes and builds and builds and builds to the point where the new emperor Vulcan orders Gladiator to execute Lilandra. And that is the breaking point. After all these centuries, <laughs> he finally turns on the throne and he refuses to to murder or kill Lalandra, and he, for the first time, becomes something of a rebel. Although, what he and he loses his powers briefly because that's where all his power comes from. But he starts to have this realization that really his duty is to the empire, not the person that sits on the throne. Um, but it's that a, makes it's a sense. big it's a big deal. Mm. Hopefully, we'll get to do Vulcan. At some stage, that's a really cool story that involves a lot of X-Men history. These writers, they get so smart in the modern era, like with, like with you know, well, not even the modern era, Chris, Chris Claremont and Dave Cochran tying back to the Cyclops origin and going, oh, what if the plane was attacked by aliens? That was Shi'ar. Modern writers get to do cool stuff as well, and they just they, they can find these plot points from over the decades and weave them together and go... Mm. What if he was this? That's cool. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I can see a lot of, not retconning, but continuing the thread going on. Anyway, back to the story. The battle against Aken rages on, but all efforts are futile. As the fight reaches its pinnacle, the ground crumbles away, with everyone carried on a floating plateau. Suddenly, the phoenix arrives. Deken's attacks do nothing, and everyone is transported back to the ship but no one is safe from Deken's power. Back on the ship, Phoenix's power subsides and she explains what must be done next. Phoenix must bound with the crystal to undo what Deken has done. Before she departs, he and she and Scott share one final embrace. 
Is this how they stop the Ancrown Crown Crystal from destroying everything in the original story, this binding thing? <clears throat> sort of, but not really. <laughs> okay. And the circumstances are very different. Mm. Um, so the the Imperial Guard and the X-Men and the Star Jammers are on... Oh, no, not the Imperial Guard. It's just the Star Jammers and the X-Men. Oh, no, you've okay. got it around there somewhere. And, and, and Deken, they're on this dead world where the, where the, the, the M-Cran crystal is... Raza, you know the cyborg pirate. <laughs> Go on, Raza, get him. He finds Emperor Deken and beats the crap out of him, and he basically punts him, tosses him, throws him into the Emcran crystal, and this causes a huge shockwave, which sucks all of the Star Jammers and the X Men, everyone inside. Mm-hmm. The crystal into the world within the crystal. This huge, like weird Emcran city with this sphere in the middle, which is like a, a, a neutron galaxy, and everyone is drawn to it. Um, and they all get um, blasted by um, psychic attack of their their greatest fears, and it absolutely immobilizes everyone to the point that Cyclops is just blasting. Like his off because he's so uh, possessed by this nightmare and he's being attacked, he's blasting his his um, optic blasts out and and like really doing some damage. But the Phoenix manages to shake it all off because basically she's already lived her greatest fear. It's already happened. She died pretty much. She died on that space shuttle and came back, and she's kind of a new being, but she's well beyond whatever fear she might have had before so the 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 the, the sphere in the mcran crystal that the neutron galaxy it yeah. starts to cr- it that starts to crack um should the barrier break the whole galaxy will be sucked into the black hole within it and the like i said the the new a new reality and universe will will unroll and 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 overlap the 616 universe and everything else um it, everything will be destroyed for for a new galaxy a new universe to be born um phoenix uses all her power to attempt to repair the damage but even she is not powerful enough to make it happen um she needs additional life force life energy um only storm and corsair have been able to shake off the the nightmare effect, mm. and so she they they give part of her their life forces to the phoenix who challenges it through, um, and that's what heals the 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 fissures and the cracks and seals the the ruptures in the sphere and the emcran crystal, um, and and that's through that she's able to work out that that um, Corsair is is Cyclops's father, right? Okay, intimately connected in that moment. Ah, right, interesting, okay. Right, back to the story. As the phoenix surrounds the crystal, Deken screams out as he is vanquished. The power of the crystal has been contained, but in order for the power of the crystal to be safely contained, the phoenix must take it far away beyond the reach of any living being. It can't be destroyed in any way possible, but phoenix will ensure of its safety. As the X-Men tearfully say goodbye to their old teammate, the flaming phoenix flies to a deep reach of the universe, marvelling at its sights. So this, is this how the first part of the Phoenix Saga ends in the comics? Gene just flying off into space? 
No, 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 not at all. Oh. Um, the, the crystal is fixed. Yeah, all is well. Um, all the all the kind of gathered races of the Shi'i Empire mm. basically recognize Phoenix as 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 the the great protector and the savior of 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 the universe, which is which is cool because they were just about to kill her. Um, <laughs> uh, with the with the with all the repairs um, completed, Phoenix is able to power up another Stargate, and boom, they're they're all back home straight away. Excellent, um, and. Fire Lord is still there. <laughs> I am Fire Lord, <laughs> um, and uh, he was like, "But don't worry. I, it has been explained to me that I was duped l- like a like a mark by a carny. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will no longer try and kill you because a man said you were bad." Um, and yeah, so 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 no, it's back. It's back to they all have a day off. Um, pretty much the next day, have a day off, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I find it quite interesting that the animated series chose to sort of uh, kill Gene off at the end here. I mean, it it, it, it they well they at least give it this presumed dead send off. Yeah, it's quite an emotional send off. Mm, yeah, and do you, I don't know if you remember from part one, but one of the production notes you had mm. was this suggestion by Eric Lewald that we'll kill her off or we'll send her off into space. Until we bring her back um, in in another episode's time, I think there's I think there's only like I think she does start to come back in the very next episode, um, but it's it is this it gives it a mark a kind of like a, a yeah like a, a big it gives it gravitas it gives this thing off like mm. she has to make a sacrifice here to to save everyone yeah a lot of that a lot of that so we're on the final bit now. On Earth, Lelandra tries to convince Charles to come with her as she sets off to restore order after the chaos her brother caused. But uh, but until humans and mutants can safely coexist, Charles must remain on Earth. Corsair and Scott share a moment together, neither of them knowing of their true relation to each other. As Lelandra and Corsair depart the planet, Lelandra promises Charles that they will meet again. Charles tells Scott the legend of the Phoenix, a legend of hope that never dies. A Cyclops stares mournfully into the sunset. A lot of goodbyes here. A lot of sad goodbyes. Is it like this in the comic books? No. <laughs> no, no. Like, Jean doesn't go anywhere, and um, Charles and Lalandra don't separate. What? Or she st- um, she, they bunk up. She comes through the Stargate with them, and the Stargate immediately burns out, which means that she's trapped on Earth, basically. Mm. Um, but she also explains that uh, Deken is uh, oh uh, maybe I uh, maybe I skipped over this part. Deken um, is comatose. Oh, the going into the Mcran crystal fried his brain, and he's he's he, he it ho- it's like it hollowed out his mind, Ooh, and he is no cool. longer able. That's vegetative. Yeah he's, yeah, he's no longer able to rule, and so by line of succession, Lelandra will become the new. Empress Majestrix of the Shi'ar Empire. Um, but she's also like, however, it's crazy up there because they were like seconds ago they were about to kill me. Yeah. Um, so she's going to hang out on Earth while all the vast, um, the, the powerful houses of the Shi'ar Empire 
um, rule in kind of the parliament way. And while they're putting the, the kind of the bureaucratic things in place, she's like, I'm going to hang out here until I can take the throne. Um, and she lives with Charles Xavier and the X-Men. Fair enough. And, and uh, yeah, that is how, in the comic books, the, the, the first Phoenix saga ends. So there we have it. Three episodes of the X-Men animated series. Episodes three, four, and five concluding the first Phoenix saga. Uh, and I think we've taken a really great journey through the comic book, uh, the comic book uh, ad- interpretation of the story as well. Will, final thoughts on the Phoenix saga as a whole? Parts one and two, then, I guess. Uh Sorry, as a whole, as, as a whole, the Phoenix Saga, the whole thing we've talked about, yeah, yeah, it was it, a lot happened for a cartoon. A lot happened. I mean, it was just nonstop. There was there was no reprieve. It it feels so much bigger than any other cartoon I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen. I mean, I, I I've never seen any crossover events in cartoons for a start. So. Well, how is this a crossover event? It isn't a crossover, but I mean that's the only way I could think of a saga. Big, big or a scale, big, yeah, big scale, big, big scale yeah. event. Um, they talk about it in the production notes we had. They're essentially making a movie. Essentially, um, yeah. I mean, t- these are these are twenty minutes ago. There's five of them. You're looking at yeah, uh, just over an hour and a half. That's a movie. Yeah. Um, so ambitious. So much done. Um and and I think if we go back to these things we talked about the, the, these notes you had on how a um how, how they how they want an X Men story to be they had jeopardy they had personal stories personal connections they had vulnerability of the yep. X Men yep. um they didn't write down to children at all no you know, no 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 never never a, a a real great achievement um. And um, favorite parts of the trivia that uh, <laughs> that that I've dropped on you? Leprechauns. <laughs> leprechauns. <laughs> that was. Leprechauns. That, I mean, there was a lot of good stuff in this episode, and a lot of fascinating things. But I think that whole leprechauns thing—not just because they were leprechauns, but because they're leprechauns—and then are either never spoken, are both never spoken of again, <laughs> and then fans refuse to call them leprechauns. That's very much what it feels like. Yeah. Um, uh, I is it, we've we've talked a lot about a lot of of um, X Men stories mm. on this podcast. Um, does this does this feel? How does this feel? How does the how does the Phoenix rank against all the others and all the other X Men episodes? You mean or the X Men stories that we've talked about? Um, you know, which we don't. You know, we think about we've done we've done two X Men, three X Men movies. We've done we've done Wolverine and, and oh, all you mean sorts. you mean, mean from the films and the TV shows and things. Just the stories in general. We've talked on all the episodes we've done covering the X Men. We've talked about a lot of different stories. We, we, we have. I'm still. I'm still loving Age of Apocalypse. The whole idea of that. So I don't oh, think it's yeah, ever going to beat that. Yeah. This, this is this is up there. But Age of Apocalypse is one of those ones which I really want to read the comic of. I really want to read the comic of that. I, I think um, Phoenix, and of course, we've not done the full full saga yet no, no, no. there is a a part two a a conclusion if you will that we are going to get to later this year um i think it's one of these things where if you were to do the story today you definitely would get a lot more mileage out of it there's there's an economy in how they would write back then i suppose although it went through several issues um 
if 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 you uh, are, are interested in checking out and, and doing what Will cannot do, um, much the same as it was in part one, you want to be checking out the X Men Epic Collection Volume Six Second Genesis, which is referring to the fact this is the second birth of the team, um, and that's got tons tons of of of, of the stories in it. Um, Epic Collection Volume Six Second Genesis. Um, don't forget our next episode will be the first ever DC edition. We're going back to 1978 for the very first superhero movie, Superman. And and beyond that, to look at the character, we're going to go back all the way back to the 1930s to take a look at the first superhero and the first superhero movie and what that means for Marvel going forward. Don't forget to check us out on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel with two bonus episodes dropping each and every month. This month's full-length bonus episode will be 25-year-in-the-making crossover between the Avengers and the Justice League. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston. And our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel for awesome bonus content. Mm-hmm.